What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Between Two Heads. My name is Jamison Wellborn, as always, joined by my co-host, Addison Demora. And today, we have a very special episode. We're joined by Jay, a.k.a. Professor Sif. Jay, thank you so much for going on. Appreciate you coming by. Of course, man. And thanks for having me. Hey, I never uh, really come on to podcasts and stuff. So it's uh, nice to see everybody. Well, honored, honored to have you as the first one. And, and, you know, really cool. I was, I know I had seen your face a couple times on some old hash churches, but there really wasn't a lot of info out there, except a lot of good record of a lot of good hash. So I'm really excited to have you on and, and talk more about your process and, um, you know, all the exciting projects you're working on today. But before we get into that, I want to take it back and learn a little bit more about you. So where'd you grow up? Um, I'm kind of like an Air Force child. So, I mean, I was born in Spain and I've grown up, I mean, everywhere. Kentucky, California, Florida and Spain uh, and Texas are the main places I've lived. Wow. But I would say California would be the main place I've lived for the longest, you know, where I could say wow. I... I absorbed the most from, but absorbed from every place that I've lived in. So were both your parents in the military or were just one of them? Just one, just one. And then uh, my, my father and he met my mother in, uh, in Europe. And that's where uh, the hash God was created. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So you were born in Spain. Correct. Yeah. On American base. So it was uh, both American and Spanish at the same time. Very very nice. Yeah, so, yeah, I. When did you? Uh, when did you move from Spain? What, what was your next move? Uh, so when I was probably like five or six, I moved from Spain here to America to like Texas, but um, and and California. I uh, was back and forth, but I went back to Spain um, every summer for two to like for two months. So to keep, they wanted me me to have my heritage and learn Spanish and be a part of you know the family. So I made sure to like up until about 16 years old, I was in Spain for about two months every year. That's cool. very, that's really cool. I know a lot of uh, people who grew up uh, as military kids sort of struggled with socially and with, with friend groups because they were constantly moving. Was that the case with you or, or, or not so much? I mean, I'm a gamer, so I guess I've always grown up gaming. So all my friends and friend groups have been online. I've been fortunate. So wherever I go, I can stay connected with those friends and play wherever I'm at. So I got lucky with that, you know. That's really cool. So, like, when did gaming become a part of your life? Like, was that a really young, I mean, that really young? Yeah, six, five, four years old. I mean, you named the first console there was available, and it was at my house. You know, Duck Hunt, the original, you know, anything video game related, Pac-Man. You know, I was very much into games as a child, taking apart computers and televisions and putting them together. I used to work for uh, Dell and Alienware before I became a hash maker. Oh, wow, man. That's really cool. So did you did you go to school for that or was that just a self-taught skill throughout your career? No, I went to school for that and mechanical engineering. I was uh, a mechanic for Honda before this. Uh, two careers, I guess, before this. It was computers and cars. Wow, that's very cool. So let's be, before we get into that, when did when did cannabis come into the picture? Like, were you were you introduced to it in an early age? Like, when did you become aware of the plant? It's so funny. It's everyone was smoking when I was, uh, you know, in high school. And uh, I didn't really get into cannabis until about 18, you know, 
And I was not in California at that point in my life. I was in Kentucky working on cars at Honda and uh, the, everybody had, you know, was smoking out there and it was swag, you know, with seeds and filled with stuff. And uh, when I came here to visit uh, my um, some family in California um, and I picked up some bud, it I was just blown away. I was like, this is, you know, this was like a long time ago. I'm 30s now. So this was 18. So um, this is when it was like, you know, not even 215 barely, you know, really premature a amber past shatter. There wasn't even like good shatter. And uh, yeah, seeing all the cannabis there and seeing that really sparked uh, an interest in me. And I came back to California, I came back to Kentucky. And not long after it was like, I can't do this, this weed. It's just, I can't live here. <laughs> wow. That's you know, really, that's really cool. So definitely started later in life than, than yeah, later. I'm a late bloomer when it comes to cannabis. That's for sure. Um, so what was, so once you made that decision to move back from Kentucky, was it, I'm leaving my job and I'm getting into the industry or was it just simply, I need to be, have access to higher quality? No, I need to have access. I, uh, I moved here and uh, I managed and ran some Midas's, you know, like Midas touch, you know? So I was, uh, I transitioned from working on cars to uh, managing the cars instead. Uh, it pays better and it's less work. <laughs> um, and, uh, and while I was here working that job, then that's how I slowly transitioned into cannabis, you know, being a, uh, Started getting trim jobs, going up north, you know, the the usual. Uh, and from then, that's when I really learned about sifting. You know, when I had the trim bins and was collecting these heads and watching these uh, trimmers just throw away these all this sift and people weren't even using trim bins. So I, I went and bought all the trim bins for all the trimmers on the farm myself being the worker and collected all their bins, had all this sift you know, refined it, cleaned it, Cuban grower and a few people back then really helped me out, you know, figure out what screens to get and things like that. What and year uh, that's 2014, 2015, you know, I would say, yeah, 2014 ish, right before like the the high times craze. When when hash church and like John B and everyone was on, you know, I was really on hash church a lot. And John B and Bubble Man, everyone was sifting, and I was like, "All these, all these grocers throwing their sift away." It was, it was crazy to me. So that's when I really learned to to dry sift, and that's kind of where it started. That's where my first extract ever started. What? So, so take me through the progression. What was the what was the next evolutionary step after the trim bin? Oh, I mean, I would collect the trim bins. Well, I started a, a tap where I would take parchment and cut it and put it in between the trim bins like a sandwich and so it kind of create a little bit of static and just kind of pull the heads and you could just pull the bins right off and literally pour the parchment right into jars and if you pressed it fresh right off the bat you would get white sift rosin if you waited more than three to four hours the heads would oxidize and you would get that browner more like dry sift has just a really short shelf life you don't capture in that few hour period it goes from white and milky to a little bit yellow and brown and if we were just pressing it right on a hair strainer you know that that pink remington 25 dollars from target it was the best one two 2.5 inches diameter with a little uh little lcd screen that is wild and so 
you like in 2015 you're making these observations are you are you um are you like sharing this information with with a group of people or is this just you by yourself making like no i mean it all started with i think it was a 2014 or 2013 when uh uh when soil grown maybe it was like the, the early 14 15s when soil grown at first posted some information about a hair straightener and pressing out weed and that's when i was all like i don't need all this expensive equipment and machinery and I didn't have to buy it. That's why I really didn't get into BHO. I mean, I made BHO, I, but I never got into it as heavy because of all the equipment costs and the dangers. And I was like, what? I can take a hair straightener that my girlfriend might have and make hash? Let's, let's get the party started. Yeah. That's and great. then Bubble Man as well, you know, watching him and seeing how he was washing on a boat, you know, washing in a kitchen. You know, I was like, well, I mean, if you really have the material and the effort, you can make hash. Yeah. The the I had a chance to chat with my friend uh, Adam at Mission Hill, and he remembered connecting with you fondly in those early days in 2015, and you were doing some dry sifting in your apartment. Um, yeah. Were those, were those on um, Bubble Man's screens or like? Were, were no, just- those are Panco Panoco, I think Panoco screens. It was something that Cuban grower had recommended me because he. He was using these Panoco. I think they're like T-shirt printing company. I'm pretty sure, but they make they'll make wood ones, steel ones, like any like size you want, any mesh, custom, the LPIs. And he really, I would say he he really helped me out and a few others with the LPIs. And then I just put in my first screen order, got a little cool bot, you know, saw that that was what everyone was doing. Got an AC, hooked up the cool bot, the AC, and I would turn my room to 40, 35 degrees when I wanted to dry sift and burn it off because it was Cali. That was cold. <laughs> Were you running like first bounce Johnny B style or like how, how, what was your methodology? Static. When you I was doing static tech. Okay. So I was doing, I was doing multiple. So I had my multiple screens, you know, although I have like three or four screens, but then I do my first pass to clean it up. And then the second and third passes were doing the static with the DVD or uh, paint roller with the parchment around it. And then collecting the heads and then after you collect it with a little brush then refining and cleaning it it cut so many hours of cleaning out using the static tech you know and i don't know if there's like other i know there's other techs that people have but the static tech for me was the uh, the best who sh- who showed you that was that hash church or where'd you where did you ah, man i i want to say it was hash church that i saw the static tech on I want to say it might have been John B or one of them who had like a like a like a, a Reservoir Dogs DVD with the fucking you know uh, with the parchment around it, and they were just going on top, and I could just see the heads you know just collecting right there, and just taking a little brush, and I was like, holy holy crap, this is saving me you know hours. I'm no longer having to pass 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 next screen pass 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 next screen. I could just take what I wanted and then refine it a little bit more. And like dry sifting, you weren't uh, limited to cultivars that lent themselves to mechanical separation as much, or, or was it still you had to be selective on what material you were working with to get the yield? So dry sifting, in my experience, 80% of it, if you're just making it the way I was, was inferior. You have to do it the way I think Cuban and the others were doing it, where you're literally growing 
and then hydrating and curing your bud in a room for months at specific temperatures and times in order to sift it to get the best heads in order to get the same kind of quality you would get from washing. When you're just dry sifting, just random, you know, things that you find, it's good stuff, but it's below quality of washing hash and below quality of of like curing bud specifically to dry sift. Curing That's why I, I went from that to the next level of washing. Because I, yeah. I couldn't specifically find, I couldn't cure, I couldn't I spend the time to cure the bud perfectly to get Cuban grower, you know, kind of uh, heads in order to get uh, get the perfect dry sift. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I definitely want to. I definitely have questions about that later. But so, what was the evolutionary pattern where you got to a certain point where you realized you didn't have the space and means necessary to create the material you needed to properly dry sift, and then you transitioned into water extraction? Dry sift was never a, you could never, I mean, you could, you couldn't, it wasn't a, a large scalable process. Let me get this blue screen off. It wasn't a, like a, a, a large giant uh, scalable process as well at that time. So, and I didn't have the means of having that super high quality. And I was already getting pretty picky with my, like what I wanted and what I was pressing. And it wasn't what I, what I was getting weren't the results that I wanted. If I wasn't getting like the right material at the right time, pressing it right when it basically I had to harvest it and sift it myself and press it right then and there to get what I wanted. And that was not not really viable back then. And then flower rosin pretty much just took that over because you could find flour and I could hydrate it myself, even if it was dry, you know, with the Bobita packs, hydrate it to where I needed it to be. And anything yielded back then because you know with heat and flour things that didn't wash could you could be, could be made into hash you know the gelatos the the hazes the and i think the flour rosin kind of really took off from there how long were you playing around with flour rosin until you made the decision to stop so flour rosin was what from 2015 to maybe 2016 2017 i saw the death of flour rosin coming and I was already, so it was kind of funny. Now we smoke, now we press hash and smoke flour. But back then we smoked hash and press flour. It was like the opposite, you know? Um, sure. I was already, I was always pressing six star and all my friends said I was crazy. You know, I just love pressing hash. Uh, you show me the best six star melt around. I'll keep a jar or two around to, you know, to flag it out, but I'll press it all out. I love rosin. Um, but no, um, I was, I saw the transition. And when I slowly saw that, I slowly just stopped making flour rosin. And since I already was making hash and had it, I just started making hash rosin. And so did you, like from, from when you started making hash rosin, like were you still drawn to the, the dry sifting or was it a complete commitment to... Um, Oh, I mean, I, I stopped dry sifting when I did the flour rosin. That was, uh, I knew that I was never going to set up an infrastructure like uh, Cuban Grower and Exotic Genetics in them um, for dry sifting alone. You know, um, water, uh, flour, flour rosin was my passion then before, you know, before even water hash was. So I, I just com I completed, devoted my time to flour rosin to applying like more of a scientific method and going nobody was wanting 
rosin in the stores. Like it was denied, denied, denied. It was, it was like being a teenager with pimples in high school, right? Like nobody, it was just no, 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 no. Nobody wanted Sovelis, no one cared. And then I came with a motto is it needs to look like Moxie, you know, like Moxie and Prime. I used to buy it and smoke it. It was $50 a half gram. It was pretty expensive for some shatter. And if you can make your flower rosin look like Moxie and Prime and smell good, then people would want it. And that's when the strawberry banana came into play. That was a strain that nobody could sell in flower. You know, it was not a flower selling strain. It wasn't OG, wasn't Kush. That's what everybody wanted back then. OG, and it was this before Runts and Gelato even really. Gelato was just coming in with the cookies and stuff. That's always been around. But so it was really easy to get access to strawberry banana packs because nobody i can't sell these and for me it was like the holy grail of rosin it made what i to this day you can press it and it tastes like a strawberry milkshake and and our tech and the way we did it made it look like um you know shatter it looked just like moxie with a little envelope and we did the little parchment and folded and put it in the baggie and it literally copied moxie and prime oil but put solventless in it. And that was the only way to get into dispensaries back then and, and get yeses, you know, and, and have a uh, green wolf and people like that actually take us serious was to look like BHO, but be solventless. I wonder how many people didn't really know that it was solvent, you know, that didn't make the connection. Cause I remember it, it, it I mean, sugar it, up too. I mean, it was, people thought it was fake, you know, cause it would, t- they'd be like, are these added terpenes, you know, cause it would literally taste like strawberry banana milkshake, you know, it, it wasn't your popcorn. It didn't taste like what other people's flower rosin would normally taste like, you know, and we just learned, we learned what made it taste like popcorn when you pressed it. And then we avoided ever doing that. And we learned some strains just don't press well. Yeah. Like tangy. Always tastes fishy when you press it. I don't know why. It just tastes like fish oil. Was yeah, there's some OGs like that too. Like they heat up too much. Yeah. So were you cultivating this whole time or not a small little grow, but I would not call myself a grower up until the last two years. You know, uh I've always been a producer working with growers. But I've never had the time or the space living in. I mean, I don't live in California anymore. Now I live in Humboldt, but, you know, middle of nowhere. But living in California, growing wasn't that easy. You know, you really needed to know people or have, and you know, um, and so but I was a better extractor and I didn't know growing. So I stuck to you know what I knew best. And then that kind of ran its limits, knowing that. As an extractor only, you're kind of the whims at growers, which is really good if you set up good connections. But um, I kind of wanted more access to what I want to produce and make. So cultivating had to come into play there. So, And I had to uh, learn to grow. When, At what point did the leverage switch for you as a maker in the calorie market where it wasn't emulating or following moxie or the other bho boys like you know the the moments you had or, or the the you know selling to places like headroom gallery or, or different places like that man headroom gallery oh my god i mean that has to be probably the come like that's probably all of us that are the biggest people probably in the industry not even big you know it's probably the wrong word just well known um and just started 
all met. We're all linked. We're of all had something going on at the headroom. Banff attractions, you know. Um, you gotta tell all the these. People, you gotta tell the people about the headroom gallery now. Bro. That is like if people don't know about the headroom gallery. That was probably like that's even before high times, before the secret sessions. Like the headroom gallery was like you walk into a smoke shop and it's like the Sheldon Black smoke shop, and that's all it was at first. It was just like a smoke shop, and then there was a door that was black. You didn't even know there was, you didn't know it was even back there. Someone would open this door and it would lead down this hallway and it would lead into a whole new like gallery that was just like for seshing and secret events and private. And it was kind of like the, like the, if you know, you know, back then. Yeah. But I definitely saw, I was doing all the events with Prime and Moxie and them with my Sovin list there, you know, trying to go up toe to toe with them. But I say the fall of BHO came in like, what 20 20 2018 maybe 2019 i saw it kind of going down before but um that like royal key you know i used to work for them royal key quality you know southern humboldt concentrate diamond baron that kind of bho and those prices they they the demand for it was lowering for what i saw you know because i was also moving bho i loved um really high quality bho which is really rare to find these days i mean let me light one up too yeah it is it is rare yeah it is rare but you know those that you know royal key and southern humble concentrate they were onto something with their micro diamonds to uh terpene level because i do like the big diamonds but when you're having an overall better experience on a dab, your dabber tool needs to have a, a good portion of diamond to terp ratio. And I think that was always a problem with diamonds and sauce. But a lot of good extractors would get those, those micro, you know, it looks kind of like a galaxy in the jar, these little mini baby teeth. And then when you had a dab, dabber of that, it was just a perfect amount of THC and terps. And you would get flavors that, honestly, I could never get in hash. Um, you know, the M cons and the Malawi Wowie and things like that. But um you get lower yields in hash producing those BHOs. They're very and you need very expensive equipment. And and it and it costs a lot to run. So I don't I hope BHO like that comes back. Funny say me saying that, but I just don't ever think it will. Yeah. It's uh a lot of damage has been done, but you know, I still think that there's gonna be for a long time, just like you said, flavor profiles that, you know, economically and commercially will only be able to be produced through hydrocarbons um, and are still delicious. So it's an interesting time. It's just like, I always find it interesting to to ask about when guys like, you know, Addison or yourself saw the solventless makers stop following and just start feeling comfortable you know, I mean, for me, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like a lot of, I mean, a lot of BHO makers have moved into the Sovenless market, you know? Um, and it's just like, it's, it's, it was a lot, I think it's a lot easier now because a lot of the other Sovenless makers, even before me, um, and, um, paved the way, you know, got a lot of the work done, um, for us to come in and start selling Sovenless into the stores and into people, you know? They were already like, you know, hash church. A lot of people were doing the, the Matt Rise, you know, that was probably the first ice wax I ever smoked. You know, before I knew what ice wax was, you know, I was like, what's ice wax? 200 a gram? 73 you? 
okay, let's try this. You know, it was, it was an experience and that, that, that experience changed my life. So was that, I mean, was that a, immediately a quest to, to be able to create or, or... I didn't smoke. I, I wasn't, ma I wasn't really make, smoking VHO after that. <laughs> like I smoked VHO still because back then it was really hard to get hash. But that's when instantly I was like, ice wax, I need it. And no one had it. No one, no dispensaries. A few people had it. And at that point I learned in order to get good hash, unless you really knew someone, you need to make it. And that's when making hash became kind of my life. <laughs> yeah. What about the uh, the glass scene? You know, were you were you involved in that in the early days? Or, you know, oh, yeah. Or, go ahead. Rip your dash. Cheers. Cheers. Like all the BHO dudes are watching this and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, somebody runs some Damn fucking, <laughs> someone gets some Duavolo chillers, runs some negative 80 BHO, really amazing, really fire, you know, like Royal Key and Southern Humble Concentrate. I'd support, you know, but I just haven't seen that kind of BHO in two or three years. No, I haven't seen any. It's And I think it's just kind of, you know, the prices drop so heavily <laughs> that why would you do all that work because the consumer's not differentiating from one to the other and then here's solventless you know where it's balls hanging out and fucking just going nuts and everyone's you know it's it's hard to beat it really is and now now solventless is coming in you know in i think the it's 20s and it's like you know but it's definitely not you know it's full spec whatever whatever but yeah that's strange you probably price, don't want but the price of lower grade solventless has come down where it's cheap. I would rather smoke cheaper grade solventless than cheaper grade hash. You know, um, oh, yeah. that's one thing. But I would like I I would prefer to smoke some really expensive high grade hash like BHO if it was available. You know, like the hundred dollar gram kind of stuff. Um, the same kind of quality that it was on with hash or ice wax. I just I just haven't seen it in forever. You know, I used to smoke those, you know, those Royal Keys and those Southern Humble Concentrates, that, that bloody Skittles, like it was, like it was candy. I used to smoke the West Coast Cure Baller Jars, like, you know, the, of the, what they have, of their OG. Yeah, it's yeah. Just fucking, I used to murder them. Smoking, it was so smoking good. some Skittles. I thought I just took a dab, but right now, little, some, some hash rods and Skittles. See, at least now we can make Skittles, you know, in, in hash and it like yields before we were forced to smoke it in BHO. No, it looks good. So, but no glass. Definitely wasn't the glass scene back then. But I wasn't in. I mean, I wasn't into like the super expensive pieces. I was fortunate to have people bring me the like thirty thousand dollar rigs and you know things like that. Over, I did have Mothership and you know Ryan Fitz. I was always like was really into that like glass scene right off the bat. But um, always kept it like pretty modest in like my collection you know never went too crazy until recently i started collecting a little bit more uh of the finer things you know and once you start hitting some of the like better functioning pieces you know i understand now you know like the the difference in quality and price and function from your normal you know like mothership and you know to like a yushin or a contrabasso or something yeah no, yeah, I've, I've, I, I was going to say, I've, I've seen you, I was going to say, you don't have a, you know, you're like, oh, I don't really collect. I'm like, I've seen your glass. Like, you have a crazy. I agree. I mean, I have a mothership. 
have you know a mothership uh, a quay pline and just the basso you know but like the mothership egg is just you know it's just like it's so perfect the, the daily you oh, can yeah. travel with it it's clean it it uh it's smooth on the lungs early in the morning basso first thing early in the morning yeah you gotta go back and lay down sleep a little bit i think i think hits like a shotgun you know that's a nap maker for sure Those yeah things, that's definitely <laughs> that new that that new piece that mikey got I've never hit a piece. It's almost like those pieces remind me like you can't cough because it hits no. so well that it's like regulating the hits. You can't take too much of it. So you're like if you need to, you need to, you need to have, hits, yeah. well, no, no, you, you can, you need to have lung um, control. It's like, a, it's like a diver, you know, I've done diving and stuff and it's like a diver. It's like a lot of my friends that come over, they'll hit it and they're just like ripping it as fast as they can. Like the mothership off the bat. I'm looking, I'm like, he is about to be fucking high. You know, you can't hit it like that. You have to go slow and kind of like work your way up on a basso because in my opinion, they the function on them, will, will they'll mess you up if you just rip them. Yeah. They'll get way too lungs. much. They pull your smoke. lungs inside out. Yeah, they there's just too like... much smoke in your lungs and you can't take it all. <laughs> I'm very interested. It's fun though. But no, you, yeah. you do have, I mean, for you to say, I have a really, you know, a simple glass collection. I have an egg. A Klein and a yeah. contrabasso. Yeah, that's like every and a quave. Person. And a quave. And a quave. Well, I mean, it's well, like I mean, they're I mean, they're 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 the perfect. Uh, what I, I I think they're the perfect functionality things in our industry. It's like the they're all three completely different and function extremely high. You know, like yeah. the quay the egg is like the, I mean, a Klein is just your original perfect fucking redisculator. The egg is just amazing. There's like no airspace, no lung pull, and then they each, oh, they all three hit different. So it's like a three, it's like three different highs. That's what you I love about them. Nail, you can run any nail set on them. You can, they're gonna, they're gonna function so well that you, yeah, like that you have a Eric Slurper, waves, the yeah. banger, any banger works. And I mean, I use all of them. I use the slanted wave banger with the slanted wave banger with the OG hover cap. That's for my full melt. You know that those that will never die. I always hit up hover cap, letting them know those those will never die for full melt. And then the charmer has kind of took over my life. I mean, I do love the slurpers, but there's something about the cone, the ball, and the charmer that just gives me the best dad. You got me on that. I actually been doing it, and it does it does shred. I I pulled it out because I did it the other day after I left. That you, you got Mikey's dial it in. And I've had a few people, you know, like tried and a few other people that they've gotten them. And they're like, bro, you're right. It's like it. It just retains heat better than a, a turp slurper. A turp slurper drops heat. The bottom heat drops too fast, where the bottom heat on a charmer holds at that five, that 480 to 500 much longer. So you can yeah. just take a much longer, lower temp dab without it cooling off. Yeah. Yeah. This new uh, control tower. That, I'm not going to lie. Someone smoked this me on thing. melt. You can smoke melt off that. And Anything, I was very this, surprised. This well, it, it counters what you were talking about where, you know, the rest of it cools down. This, it has such a long insert. Hilder that retains the heat. Oh, man. It, and it grabs yeah. the oil. Like, it grabs the oil and pulls it in and it just disperses it up the side. It's It does so well. Like and I was given a dab, a full melt on that recently, and it was probably one of the nicer experiences of dabs I've had in a minute. And yours is like tessellated, right? So it's actually fault. Like the oil doesn't, the cylinder doesn't act like a pump and push the oil. Cause it, when they're smooth, the pillars in the middle, they act like pumps and they push the oil up. Yeah, this pulls it in. 
yeah. keeps it so there with it doesn't go down the neck. Spits it back yeah. Out. Yeah. That's why I like the new turf slurper, the 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 cyclone, whatever one, the, the little the, the bosom looking one. Yeah, yeah. well that one that kind too. Because it doesn't it doesn't suck the it doesn't suck the oil down the neck no matter how hard you try. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't get it to you can't get it to come up and go down. Like you could rip the living shit out of it and it's like Which even on like on a slurper and a charmer on ninety degree some rigs, if you suck too hard even both those nails will, will get the oil down the neck. Well, that's why I like these. Because they're just big-ass 30s. Yeah. Like, giant 30s. And you use a cap of it, and it's like, right. you just tilt it forward, and it's, you get all, you get everything. I've been on the no. 45. Ever since I got to the 45 life, I never thought I'd like it, but now I love that 45 life. The 45 degree. What it is definitely it doesn't, that you enjoy? I mean, so it, it just, it really does suck the oil down a lot less that I guess that angle that it's at. And, uh, and it's like, I don't know, it's just perfectly with, it fits with the rig perfectly. I don't have to uh, like, I can torch it up and set the turp timer underneath. I don't have to like config anything. Everything just lines up, but you, you definitely have to have a good 45 degree banger that, that has nice grip. Like you, you get a cheap 45 banger and they're going to fly. Yeah. Fly out when you go. Oh my god, I man, that was the worst experience. <laughs> Had one go on my pants and the oil everywhere, oh, but but all these, you know, like the especially uh, the charmers and the quaves and you know the QCBs, Toros, they use really high end uh, tips for theirs, so they never come flying out, Eric. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. So I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier when you said that you cut, you moved away from dry sifting because you weren't able to you didn't have a, the capacity to cure and handle the material. Like I was able to make a product sellable, you know, with it. Somebody like Cuban that was curing these plants for a really long time. So when you go back to that and, and to understand that more, like when you say a really long time, are you curing past the point of, I uh, wouldn't, I don't know their tech or any of these things. I just kind of have hints and things that we've, you know, heard and talked about the past. You know, I just know that, the amount of work and effort that went into curing and refining the 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 bud and the trim the whole you know it's a whole plant before sifting it was a was a was a process you know it was kind of like if you're how people used to cure their flowers i don't think anyone does anymore everyone just bags and tags it but um but when people did cure their flowers uh i think it was you know something like that you know curing your resin specifically for dry sifting and that, to my understanding, is what they were doing. And I didn't have access to that at that means in my life. Do you have or what is your experience with uh, cured working with cured material versus fresh material in the wash bin? Like if you well, I mean, that's how it started. It all started. I mean, everything I sold and made most of the cups that I wouldn't at high times was all dry material. It was very late into the end when we started working with fresh frozen. Um, it was always washing dry honey banana, dry pounds. Uh, you do get better yields because they're dry, uh, but you have to handle it much different because the cannabis is dry. So you get so much more plant material, so much more chlorophyll and green. Um, so you have to be delicate and it's a lot more work when you're like working with, but, and, and it's not as, gr- it doesn't turn into that like complete ice oil look, you know, like it's more granular heads that do coagulate and stick. But since it's dry resin, you know, it depends on the strain. It doesn't get as ice oily as like whole plant fresh frozen does, where it just looks like, you know, like a slick oil in the jar. 
Interesting. Have you, in your experience, are there cultivars that you can bring to mind that are 100% without a doubt better cured than they are fresh frozen? That's about yielding. That's just things that will yield cured, but they won't yield fresh frozen. And that's just like, I'm not a scientist when it comes to cannabis and it sucks that there's not many of them, you know, but I think there's a, a water soluble terpene. There's multiple. And we haven't figured out which ones they are. And also it, you, it could be the same strain grown differently, but somebody grow, grew more of the water soluble terpenes and not the other. And you'll grow, you'll wash the same strain and literally yield nothing but then you'll get a little bit more in the other. You'll see an oil slick in the water and you instantly know like, oh man, this is going to be a problem. You yeah. see all the terps. So some of those strains like hazes, sativas, you know, anything like that probably does way better dry. Um, but flavor wise, I really can't say things taste better, cured or fresh frozen. I mean, I honestly prefer fresh frozen. I think it captures the essence of the plant. Um, I think curing bud is a lot harder to capture the essence perfectly and then to wash it and to get it. It doesn't transfer the same. Yeah. And With I fresh frozen, you can kind of choose, you know, right. Like when you're smelling the plant, you can choose what terpene profile you want, depending on when you pull it. And you're like, I want this and then freeze it, wash it. And that's kind of what you're going to get. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. And I think, you know, we as an industry need to, understand that there comes a point when quality leaves the equation and it's personal preference and and definitely we mix the two together um so I, I i wanted to ask you about fresh press versus cured rosin in california there's a tremendous popularity more than in almost any other market that i've seen for fresh press and i just wanted to know what your thoughts were from which is funny because fresh press i used to be only doing fresh press when I used to be Cali Sifco. That was my first original company. You know, like all our hash rosin was fresh pressed. Um, but like we've kind of transitioned more into uh, what we call cold cure. You know, like a few companies like me and like Full Flavor and a few others were starting to do it, um, starting to notice that like, whoa, you know, like this is something that we can do to our hash. And I call it the flan tech, you know, again, the, the nice turp layers. But I still think fresh press is a kind of alive but dead in a way um it's kind of funny that you say that california likes it the most because i don't i don't really see it offered too much and when i do i uh, i love it when it's done correctly you know um but it definitely i think it's storing it is the problem and you know people don't you need to freeze it you need to drive it frozen you need to give it to the person frozen they need to freeze it they need to sell it to the person frozen. They need to get it to their house frozen. And then they need to take it out and let it sit and come to room temperature to the same temp as the room so that it doesn't get moisture in the jar. And then they need to also make sure it's not super hot and we're leaving it in a car. So there's like a lot of factors that take into play to keep the quality of the fresh press, what the hash maker envisioned it, you know. And some people do put in that work. You know, there's, there's like, I can't name them, but there's some people out there that 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 give you ice packs and do every step possible to make sure that you get it fresh but at the ultimate end it's up to the that person and the consumer if they're going to get their you know their fresh press fresh do you feel that it's going to main 
maintain the presence it has in the market currently, or do you feel that's going to, you know, wane as 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 either the market sophisticates or the production realizes that the consumer is not that discerning? Or is I'm hoping it. Discerning? I actually think it'll come back up a little bit once people like learn like what I call like the proper like if, if you look at Kaela and all greens, they're the only two I can really give as representations for legal hash. That when you look at their rosin, it looks like distillate. You know, it's like complete see-through, no bubbles. Most of the fresh press that you see on the market, it's, I'm not saying it's improperly done, but it's improperly done in a way where those bubbles are air. And when you trap air in fresh press, I mean, we all know what air does. It oxidizes your hash. And it just makes your hash turn faster and, you know, butter quicker um, and possibly, you know, uh, burn off terpenes. But when you when you do the fresh press when, without getting all those bubbles stuck in it, um, then the fresh press can stay for like up to weeks in a jar fresh, you know, and then then it slowly butters into like that wetness, kind of like how slabs use a sugar. And you can kind of whip it up yourself. Like I have some fresh press that... Um, that buttered up see, and then as it buttered up i whipped it and it's just you know it might be hard to see now but with the camera but it's just like super white and super wet and it was it was fresh press that was starting to but if, if it just depends on um the fresh press and i think it will come back slowly when people start realizing how much work that needs to go into it. Um, but I think cold cure is going to remain stable above it. In your experience, how, how many cultivars do you encounter that express better as fresh press than cold cure? I was just going to get into that next. That is a good question. Um, so like the honey banana, my favorite strain at the moment, which is funny because the strawberry banana is kind of what brought me into hash and honey banana has that as a lineage, but tastes nothing like it because I'm really over the strawberry terpene and kind of the banana terpene, but the honey banana is just kind of a honey exotic, you know, high chew flavor. Everyone kind of gets their own profile from it, but um, it doesn't taste the same as fresh press as it does in cold cure. You get different flavor. It's more fresh, more ripe banana in my experience as fresh press, but when you cure it up, really get these candy notes. You know, um, certain strains do change. Certain strains don't. You know, there's some there's some I do think maybe do taste better in fresh press. But I also think that's like preference. Um, but there are strains that I know taste better once they're cured. And it's not preference. I know someone's going to like it better if I cure it. Yeah. You get a different expression from it, you know. So it's you know, like, something that you recognize that you want to promote, you know, and, and that's. And they're, they're all different, man. They all have so many different... Like things. papaya is really a hard one to say because papaya fresh press tastes really good. But sometimes papaya fresh press can miss some of the complexity to the cold cure where a good papaya cold cure just... Man, people are... I mean, I have a papaya cold cure curing right now that I'm going to whip that. It's just... Oh, my God. The smells from it. It smells like bubblegum, papaya, fruit. I'm getting all kinds of crazy notes from it. And I wouldn't get that from the fresh press because it locks in the turps on the fresh press, so you don't doesn't really release them, and uh, and also the terpenes do change when they're curing, 
I don't understand the full science behind it, you know, but I do know that they change to different profiles once they, they cure from, up. They go from larger to smaller or they go from small, you know, they'll, they'll get more complex or simple. Some people will argue that it's not curing, but I don't know what the proper term is since we don't have one, you know, we, I call it, you know, uh, a change in the profile, you know, because you're not curing the heads technically. So, but we just use the word curing because there's not any other word for it. You know, we're not 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 leaving the heads to expose the air and curing it like you would with with other hash. Or, I mean, with other resin, but you are putting it in a jar, you know, sealing it at you know cold temperatures, and mm -hmm. and it's it's curing in a sense. It's its own cure. No, yeah, it's removing moisture. It's getting to a drier point. You know, and that's no, oh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it gets, yeah, it's at first when, when you first do your first cold cure, you're scared. You're like, what is this? Like, I can't sell this. No one wants dry crumble. You know, like you didn't, you don't understand what's going on. But then once you figure out the tech and how to get it wet, how to get the right mixture, then you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, I would, I, I would have never figured this out if, if, you know, one of my jars didn't naturally do it, or if I didn't, you know, get some tips from some people, I would have never like purposely cured a 60 80 gram jar of hash that's like that's crazy you know do you remember when you first did it and, and what you did it to or how uh that's that suma orange was one of my favorite strains a lot of people remember that it was from um they used to get a lot of melt from emerald cup concentrates back when they used to do melt they did the uh setsuma orange the pomelo the hawaii the hawachi oh i love that one and the and the Durban sherbet, oh my God! I cannot believe someone pulled that out. That is the original. That is like that. That is the first rosin I've ever pressed on a hair straightener. Well, dry sift. <laughs> this is to, to, to sell. And that stuff was. Shout, shout out to Green Giant Gross. I, you know he's out there somewhere. Chop. That was. Uh, I was. I was uh, uh, working for him, and I was like, we need to press this. Well, I made him. I made him take his weed and wash it. I was like, we have to make this into hash. Like, we have to make this into everything. This is amazing. Um, I lost tangent on what I was talking about earlier, <laughs> but no, that's awesome that you pulled that out because that is like that is some of the most original. When I just had my little glasses and had my name going, Manila envelope. We we were talking about sort of the the market trends in in Cali and cold cure. Oh, so the cold here, yeah. When I first did my jar, was it's that sumo orange? Thank you for that. Um, and that uh, that jar kind of did it on its own, you know. Where I didn't even know, like, I have pictures on my Instagram when I go back and look at the jar when I was making some like off 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 I think you remember we met up at, at some events back then, and I was doing some off sifco, and I just left a jar out that was fresh pressed, and the next day it was like kind of already wet buttered. I just took my tool and kind of just whipped it a little bit and was like, whoa, whatever this is. And then I saw full flavor extracts, Colby, um, making like larger jars of it, you know, and on purpose, not on accident. And, and I, and I, and I hit him up, you know, and talked to him and he did help me. He, he, he was, he was, you know, he gave me some tips and told me what I needed to do in order to do a larger batch. And, I was like, oh my, I, I was very scared doing my first batch of it. I wouldn't lie. And uh, I just said full scent it and, you know, did a big jar of it. And I was very satisfied from that day on. I think cold cure kind of just took into play. It's just, 
you have to be careful with cool here because it it does make an amazing product amazing but it also hides all the subpar product you can't like you can't instantly just tell that it's a shitty product or not a good product because it can it can look good you can make it look you can make subpar product look good with cold cure so i think cold cure kind of gets like a somewhat bad rep recently because a lot of people have been using it kind of like a crc tech so you know to make their stuff look better than it should um but i mean at the end of the day when you taste it you're, you you instantly and smell it you know that this is this is not of quality if it was fresh press you would have instantly been like okay no i'm not gonna you know i don't want to purchase this so that's one thing it does hide addison what are you seeing over the last year in the market like are you seeing more groups come forward with cold cure or are you seeing the same what what are you observing <clears throat> I mean, there's two markets. When you look at black market, it, it, for a long time, it seemed like it was predominantly all, you know, fresh press. And then, you know, because it was all about heady boy and like keeping shit cold and all these things. And then I think it's just sort of, uh, even on the black market, it converted over to uh, all, I mean, the only time I ever see fresh press now is if it comes from out of state. And it's like the, you know, PNW cats that are coming down and those companies. And it's nice to get, it's always cool, but um, and it's like for them, it's more fresh press and melt and you'll kind of have that flow into Los Angeles that way on the, on the rec market, everything that 710 sells is fresh press technically. And they do that, you know, non-storefront sales, direct sales, uh, model. And they have, they have freezers inside the shops now, like stand up coolers, like big old Coca-Cola style ones. Um, so you know, it, it's coming in, in a tier one from 710 consistently on the rec market. And then a lot of the guys on the rec market are doing fresh press sales because of the reason is because you, you're trying to get it to the consumer. And that, that's like the educated consumer that's buying that stuff. They still sell batter. They probably don't sell as much. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a sort of thing that's died off because what, what I think you're referring to is, you know, in 2018 to like 2020, there was a, a everything in the black market, it seemed like, was all fucking fresh press and everybody was doing fresh press and everything was being kept cold. And then it just sort of turned into like the two gram jar came around. It was whipped back, you know, it was whipped into batter. Myrons, you're like, oh, what is this? And, it's, and then the labeling and now it's all, now it's like, all cold cure whipped in in those in those tall jars you know the myron jar with the label and all those things and it's but it's, know, it, it seems to it's, me by listening to you that that the legal rack isn't actually going to follow the traditional market like the traditional market's moving forward with the two i don't think so because if, if you just look now 710 labs is now they've just they've really they've done two releases of their cold cure and they're now doing another big drop of their of their cold cure batter. Well, they fi they figured out a way to do like a because two gram their jar. fresh press um, dries out too fast. That's like I love buying like their living soil. That's like the one thing I'll get the living soil from them. But within five to six to seven hours, it, it just it just dries out. And then yeah. that's the problem with the fresh press is people want it not to dry. And I think. Yeah, it, it, Jungle Boys. I was given some some. I was gifted a whole bunch of hash from them recently. It was all cold gear. You know, they're on these amazing boxes and everything. So I honestly, you know, I think people like all like All Greens Denver, man, 
they do some of the best fresh press in the world. I, I, oh, I don't want them to do cold cure. I want them to yeah. stick to their fresh press. But I think a lot of I think a lot of people here will start to catch on to do the fresh press because it's easier for them to to manipulate, do to get to the consumer. I think uh, I mean cold cure. Sorry, uh, the cold cure. I think fresh press will still be around, but I think cold cure is starting to catch on in the rec market a lot more uh, recently. Just because I've been seeing it with people. Well, seven ten figured out a way. I think there there's a loophole, and they're able to do it um, because it's they sell it as an edible, maybe or something fucking crazy. But they it, can do it. it well, you, you have to have a med, you have to have a medical card in order to get the two gram jar. That's what it is. That's what. It is. Yeah. yeah. So in order to get the metal, in order to get the two gram jar, but a med card is literally five minutes on your phone and ten bucks, fifteen bucks, and there oh, you I've, go. I've had my med card since. Yeah. I, I have my I have my med card since I moved to Cali. You know, so it's like if you don't. Yeah, so if you don't have your med card, you're missing out on some easy oh, stuff. Like, plus, know. too, if you have your med card, I, I keep have... the I keep the, the home press right at here, just so I can. Sometimes I'll run to the shop and pick some melt up or pick up some flour and just test press it out and just to see how it is, you know. Yep. Yeah, if you have your med card, I think you have better chances of winning in court too. So it's good. To yeah, have your you med can have your anyway. plant, you know, and it's like you know, I have my, you know, have a a, a reason to have these things. Yep. That's good. So, but yeah, it's funny that you say the Myron jars, um, because we were doing that was when we were putting like like we were putting flower rods in the Myron jars, you know, like we saw because we saw Royal Key and we saw Southern Humble, we saw all the high end BHO companies using them, and I was making all these posts about people using, you know, the uh, the like old school jars, and like all your turfs would get stuck in the lid, and I'd get so upset and. Hash would also just not, it would just dry out. There's too much headspace. There's too much air and oxidization and light. And when those Marons came out, I think they also really changed it up for, for, for hash in general for a lot of people because they're able to put a product into a jar that stays good for a lot longer of a time with a good seal. Like, because Myron has, they have like a patent. They have like a one, like airtight, smell tight. You know, there is, you know, it's made for, makeup and high-end industry so like those things are you know they're they're really good seals yeah no they're they're quality changed, jars man that changed the hash for a lot of people you know a lot of people think they're black but they're just blue it's ultraviolet they're, they're if you put a like a light to them they actually they have like a patent for that specific like mixture of glass it's like a purple it's actually a, like a purple uh, uh color if you put like a yeah. uv or like a deep light to it 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 does protect stuff too. I mean, especially BHO. Um, well, it they, also they lets have... in certain you know spectrums of light because it's a it's like it lets in certain UV light and then blocks everything else out. Yeah, they've they've come back pretty hard. They're kind of it's more of a standard now in the black market for for those jars at this point. Except for Tito, Tito's a holdout. Yeah, Tito. <laughs> I mean, it just they just. They just keep your product like for fresh press. I still like using, you know, your like e bottles, like your good uh, traditional. Like I still will, because I want people to see my hard work and it looks beautiful and white. And you know, I don't like like it just looks like a black slick oil when you put it in a Myron jar. So I'll sacrifice it's a, it's a, a little bit. Window, like but if you, uh, but the but the e bottle jars, they give you like PTFE insert options and all these high end options. So they they close perfectly. If your fresh press spills, like I had it earlier, had my shit spill, I could literally just take my jar and take it right off the insert because it's PTFE. You don't have a problem with it. Yeah. 
So I've used the proper proper glass shards still work nice, but you were right. Myron really changed the scene for 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 everything. They kind of set the scene. Hundred percent for sure. <laughs> I want to ask you about rosin versus melt. Um, you know, hearing you talk earlier and saying, you know, sounds like you know I know where your preferences lie, but do you feel that there is a medicinal? Oh or a, a, like a terp difference that are going with the, uh, with melt. Um, can you still see me there? There we go. Yeah, we got, um, you. Yeah, no, um, it cut out for a second. Um, so like, I mean, I used to be a, a hardcore melt smoker, like queso glass and I had a whole bunch of people back in the day, you know, we used to really be, be into the glass, uh, presses. We had all these really dope glass presses with cool domes and tops and fumes to take them to events and give them some people. And we would, you know, heat them up and press out and flag out our hash. And that's kind of how I always smoked my hash. And the high in the flavor is a little bit sometimes different. I, you know, you do get different. But what it is, is you can't combust full melt at nowhere near the temperatures that you combust rosin. And you can get way better flavors off rosin at the higher combustible temperatures and with full melt, you, there is no forgiveness. You go just a little too warm, and it's bad. It does not taste good. Bad experience. You go a little too low, it tastes good, but you're not getting high. And but and I don't get the the bang that I want really. Or with rosin, I could definitely go uh, like at 500 or something on my bang, or 520, and and not burn. Still be still what I call low temp. Get a good profile, and also get a lot of you know like THC high from it. That's like the reason why I don't smoke melt. It's just because I can combust it hotter. If not, I would, you know, I dab melt here and there. I have a wish of like Starburst OG and some things from like uh, uh, Humboldt Organic, you know, and I'll, I'll smoke that as a little like thing here and there. But overall, when I want to take a nice big fat dab, it's some rosin. Have you encountered unique varietals of melt that can withhold a lot higher temperatures than others? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a certain melts that are just like THC bomb. We just did that one recently. That makes amazing melt. Um, GMO, you know, cookies and cream. There's there's definitely certain strains like strawberry banana. There's like certain strains that are a lot, a lot more forgiving and can like be dabbed. Even some Skittles have done really well. Um, can dab like, oh, can dab a little bit. Okay. You know, like hotter and you'll be all right. But most, most Skittles, you dab it too hot and it's just ruined. It's just horrible. Even on the rosin, it's just horrible. Yeah. Um, but there's a few cultivars that do hold up their resin really strong and melt. Um, it's a few, but not many that like, it's cause I haven't tried many melt too recently. Yeah. Do you find that those fruitier strains tend to correlate one way or another compared to, you know, the, the more gassy or funkier strains? So like we've been trying to get sherbets and gelatos and stuff to to correlate, and we get lucky sometimes, and we'll release it. You know, we'll release a good sherbet or something when I when I find that the flavor kind of matches. But those strains do not translate. It's like the best way to describe it is like when it rains on concrete and at that fresh concrete rain smell. That's what you really get off a lot of those strains when you wash them for some reason. Like the terps of the cookies and the and the dough. And the cherry pie just don't come through on uh, on those, but on like the fruits and a lot of those other crosses, yeah, they translate 
pretty much exactly how they smell. You know, the honey banana, the papaya. We've been trying to get, you know, like we've been we're working on cheeses, OGs, sours. We're trying to, you know, we're experimenting on a lot of things and trying to get the that flavor to come out in the hash. Even if the yield's okay, like 2 3%, we're not worried. We just want the flavor to translate where it smells like the the plant, you know. It doesn't sure. taste kind of like planty and, you know, just different, you know. Yeah. 100%. Um I wanted to ask you about resin mixing and blending, you know, be it pre-wash or post-wash. Is that something that you're uh, yeah, so I've done, I've done way too much experimenting with that, and I do not like pre. I don't like mixing in the wash. We have learned that that is just such a loss. There is, um, there is just something about the science of mixing two strains that do not produce the same yield that you would think math should do. Um, doing your averages and your this and your that, you know, like you take half of this strain or half of this with twenty of this and thirty of that, you always end up with like a lower yield than you, what you will expect that you're going to get. And if you if you wash them separately, your yield's better. And I don't just don't understand, you know, maybe if, if it's the terpenes from that strain breaking down the other, so then I need to calculate the loss of of that as well. I don't, you know, there's like some kind of math I'm probably not calculating well, but we've noticed that washing strains individually for us have been better. And then what I like to do, you know, it's kind of like I learned it from the BHO guys. They blast it separately find their mixtures you know we like mix it all together by you know gram by gram and we'll dab each one and we'll see which one is the best blend 70 30 the 60 60 the 50 50 and then that's the blend that will homogenize and melt i mean and melt together before we press it because uh and then and then we cure it together so i think it homogenizes once more and once it gets whipped do you feel that there's a scientific difference by combining that loose resin in the bag before you press it through the press versus pressing those two individual bags of loose resin separately and then mixing the, the subsequent cold cures? Mm, I don't know. I think you get the same kind of concept with, I think if you homogenize the cold cures good enough, but here's the problem with homogenizing two different cold cures, you have different colors and with different colors, you start to get swirls and different things that happen with the rosin. And you get different textures. And if you homogenize it together, you know, you get a, a better overall quality in the in the texture, I think. I think mixing two different strains, once they're cold cure, I don't like the way it looks, you know. Um, I don't think I don't think it's a flavor wise, but look wise, I don't like the way, you know, it changes. But that's why I like to press it. And then as fresh press, you're getting uneven amounts, you know, it's not you can't say that like every dab tastes the same when you leave it as fresh press when you're mixing, you know, unless you've homogenized the melt yeah. really, really well, which is hard to do unless you have like a nice marble spoon and a freezer, which that's what, you know, we, we used to like package melt. So we still have like our, our marble spoon and our little freezer and stuff sharing all my secrets here. Uh, but, uh, uh, um, no, like, uh, you know, I like pressing, um, it like the mixtures, and then cold cold curing them together um, versus separating them and mixing them. I don't I don't think it makes a good color and texture. And I don't like swirls in my in my product. So, in your experience, are you able to notice any consistent differences between salt grown and organic organically grown resin? I mean, honestly, 
I can like most of the stuff I taste these days, I can taste what we call the indoor effect or like, you know, or just it's like, you know, and it's not to talk bad about it or anything. I just, I could just taste a difference in the, 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 the quality, like the salt, you know, like I can taste the, um, I'm so, I think when you start to smoke a lot of hash, I think before you really, I couldn't notice it, but when I smoke a lot of soil, um, and even cocoa is good, you know, the soil, the cocoa, um, more, just things more organically. Um, I just noticed for me, tastes better on my palate, like on the aftertaste and they're like cleaner on my throat, um, versus like the more salt things that are grown from more flour, you know, like heavier on the nutrients and the heavier on, on the, on the feeding styles. Um, for me, I can taste the difference. Um, and they're not as pleasant to smoke, you know, I'll, I'll dab one or two dabs and just be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to set that aside. Um, I'm more of a outdoor, like I love, I mean, I think outdoor resin and sun grown and, and lighthouse, uh, depth controlled makes some of the best hash in the world. And then I would say after that, or even not even the best, I would say the same could be said for led and indoor. Cause I run led indoor outdoor and like that, you know, we run and we just put each strain where we think it tastes the best. Cause I don't think anything is better than the other. Like I don't think indoor is better than outdoor. And I don't think, you know, I think it's all about what strain gets put in where like Skittles is a little bit better indoor, you know, and honey banana is a little bit better outdoor and GMO is better outdoor. It's just, and, but it's also preference too on some people's uh, taste on what they're trying to capture. I want to talk about the honey banana. You, uh, you just dropped some S ones of it. I think, uh, if I'm, not yeah, we haven't done like a full release of the official seeds yet. We're going to be dropping like a, like a real drop, like online and all, you know, but yeah, we, we did the, we self the honey banana. Um, I mean, I just love that strain. I mean, I smoke probably a jar of honey banana a day and it's like, it's not even just the flavor. It's like, it's the medicinal for me, it's the medicinal effects. Like, for like the Amarillo peel that we just did and like the honey banana, like, you know, and Skittles is good as well. But I would say honey banana and Amarillo peel, they're like medicine. They keep me motivated, going happy, high. They're just, they're just good. And it's probably why I probably smoke a jar of that a day. But yeah, the honey banana has been one of my favorites. Um, I'm glad it was brought, you know, to my attention in California because I didn't, I didn't discover it, but I'm glad that I was able to, you know, be able to, uh, get my hands on it and play with it. And yeah, we finally crossed it to itself and then crossed it with all my favorite stuff to smoke, you know, like papaya, drop cherry, taliman, um, gelinate and, uh, and the rainbow belts. What kind of yields are you seeing from her? I mean, we get, you know, like five plus percent on the honey banana, you know, we've like the highest I've ever gotten was like a seven to 8%, but you know, you really have to be growing super small batch and dialing in really perfect to get that like seven to eights, you know, um, not a lot of genetics hit 8%, but, and, but there are a few genetics, you know, and some I can't name, uh, cause they're proprietary that do hit like 8% and you're, you know, 8.2%, you know, it's like been the max that we've really hit on something. Um, and we're like, wow, you know, and then when you, and translate it into rosin, that's about like, uh, you know, a good one will do about 6.7, you know, close, you know, like a good, a good melt will translate, like you'll lose a percent, maybe two, you know, if two is bad, you know, if, uh, but you'll lose like about a percent 
or maybe like half a percent if it's really good melt or every bag, every bag or every part of it, it's melting, you know, like 95, 98 percent. Yeah. When but most people, but, it, but the honey normally does like five, six percent, and then it'll press like high fours and fives easily, you know. Wow. So and, and it also grows very well. It's uh it's one of those ones that you're not going to expect. And then you're like, oh, my God, I can't walk through the room. You know, it's super it kind of grows like a sativa, like, a, you know, it's super like stringy looking. It's 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 everywhere. It's all in your aisles and stuff. But it makes your whole room everywhere. Everything just smells like honey banana, like a tropical, you know, like a tropical forest of honey bananas when you're walking through it. It puts a smile on anyone's face. That's awesome. So what's your what's your favorite of the new crosses that you've done? Perhaps. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, everyone's going to have their preference. I really love Trop Cherry. So I think the Honey Cherry is one of like my favorites because it just has that like the honey and the cherry. But I mean, I've just smoked a lot of papaya. But I mean, Honey Papaya is fire. The Honey Bells is fire. I think uh, I'm also going to have to just keep on, you know, hunting out some more and, you know, finding finding like the perfect one that, that we like. But the Trop Cherry and the Belts um, and the Straight Honey, <laughs> those, are, those are definitely my favorite. Nice. I haven't yeah, done when, the Honey Gelinade yet. That's the only one I haven't really done. So I don't know how that one's going to come out. I wonder. Yeah, that one's going to be we, – we didn't have that, that much of that one. So we just had to run it. Where do you uh, where do you think the plant max is out, Jay? Like everybody's breeding for solventless and everybody's – claiming crazy numbers like where where how far do you think the plant can be pushed as far as yields go i, I know it's great i know people always tell me these numbers but then when i go wash these plants i'm like i'm not seeing these numbers um you know unless they mean like and when i and when a lot of these numbers that i talk about are like without including the food the food grade and what i would include our food grade is like still sellable as like tier two and three we just don't want to make a tier two and three product we just we just never have. We've never. We've always just wanted to make tier one, and that's it, and, and just keep on focusing on that. And the tier two and three get stacked up until we make edibles, which we're starting to do, and rosin carts, and uh, which we end up we end up having so much tier one that most of the rosin carts get end up tier one and tier two mix. But um, um, yeah, I think um, with the uh, with, with the with the sorry, I lost my question there. What were you saying? <laughs> Sorry, I was just I was asking about the um, I was asking about the too high from that last stab that Amarillo. Yeah, and I just took a dab. The um, <laughs> we were talking about the salt grown versus uh, the organic grown, and then oh, the yields, the yields. Here we go. Yeah, the yields. So yeah, so I think the yields max out. Honestly, like so, you're gonna see on average, like on a good day, like four to five percent. That's amazing. You know, like. You're you're averaging between two to three percent on most, you know, like strains that don't really yield well but taste well. like papayas don't do more than three to four percent, you know, in rosin. That's that's if you're getting four plus percent on papaya, you know, you're you're, you're a really amazing grower, you've got a really good cut. But I haven't seen papaya do five percent in rosin. Um, just I just haven't seen it, you know. It just it's very the the lower ends of the papaya and the higher ends of the papaya are really fluffy, they don't press out very high so it's just like certain strains don't press out good in the highers and lowers and they only really juice in the middle and so you like people might say a really high yield on the wash 
because it's filled with stocks and things that aren't going to juice. But when you go press it out, you might not be getting anywhere near close to that yield. So it really depends on the yield of the press. You know, like I haven't seen, I normally don't see five and 6% yields on rosin unless it's something crazy like GMO, which everybody, I mean, anyone can grow GMO and get five, 6%. That's like, you know, cookies and cream. But the honey banana is one of those strains where it, it hits the flavor, but also hits that five, six percent. Yeah. Where where do you think the plant has the genetic potential to go or have we reached it? No, I mean, like, so like if you convert eight percent plus to dry material, that's like almost 40 percent of the plant. Yeah. So if you, I think that's the max. Like, in my opinion, I've never seen higher than that especially without including like food grade, you know, but even with including the food grade, you know, like 9%, which is like converted to dry, I think it's like 40 something, 42, 43% of the biomass. So if you had a pound, that means 43% of that pound dry was just resin. That's the best you can ever get. I mean, it's the best I've ever seen, but that is very, I just very rarely grow, like growers can, can achieve that. I've seen like, you know, people who do KNF and, you know, like really small, like batch growing, you know, produce that like 40, 50, per, or like not 50, but that 40% uh, resin to biomass. I think that's the max I've seen and that you can get. If anyone does more than that, I will, I will be, I will be amazed. Let's call up and start, oh start you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I think, I think on average, you know, like what you're seeing is like 20 to 30% and, and that's pretty high, but like, 20 it's a to dry material and fresh rose that that equals to like you know between your three to fives but to biomass to the plant you're you, the most you're really getting is 20 to 30 percent um some people are getting between like 15 to 20 and some people are getting 20 to 30 percent from biomass to resin conversion yeah you mentioned rosin pods um you strike me as a guy that does a lot of r d I know everybody is trying to find the best systems and the, and the best way to prepare their material to go into these pods. You know, what, what have you learned and what, what can you share about? I mean, we've made, man, we dropped rosin pods like back in 2017, 16 on my, I have a whole bunch of like pictures. Like we've been, I've just never sold them because I've never, they have never been to my standard, you know, like the technology, the pod, the experience, but the problem with it is always um, the C cell. So even though the C cell is a far superior product, they taste better. Um, they need to be screwed on and they need to be put on a pen. And you 100% lose the factor of taking like who carries like do you see anyone carrying around a stick anymore with a, with a C cell pen, you know, like a vape. It's like you can't fit in your pocket. You can't sit on it. Someone might buy it, screw it on, hit it, set it down. But then forget about it or leave it. It's not. It's no longer a pod that you can just hit and put in your pocket and go on the go. So it was something I never really even cared about making. I just stuck to the to the you know high quality hash. And then the pods came around and we started doing the eye crushers, you know, which everyone does right now. And you know I've tried talking to them about lowering the temperatures and the volts and stuff. I don't really think they care too much because their business is booming um, about it. But like they just they burn too hot. After you get two, three, four hits, you know, in my experience, and you have to first prime them. The first two hits kind of suck anyways, because rosin is something that you need to prime in a cart. It always will be. No matter how good the technology is, the rosin will not settle really into it because of how viscous the product is. 
you kind of have to like prime it a little bit before you get your good hits coming out. But then they just start to burn and everything just starts to taste kind of too bad, you know? Um, and that's why I didn't want to release the, the pods. I just said, I'll, I'll wait. And then we did these new ones recently that we've, uh, that have a C cell inside, but they're a plastic uh, hemp and they're disposable and they recharge. That's the also downside to the eye crushers is a lot of them died before people even got to finish them. And there goes a waste of a whole fucking, you know, pod. So these ones are rechargeable and they hit yeah, much. Are sick. They hit much smoother. They're clean. You know, like they like, if you forget you're even hitting it as you're hitting it. You know, it's, it's, if you well, want a dab, a good a terp taste, this is not what that is. You know, this is get you high on the go, not be distillate and still be rosin and taste yeah. somewhat good, but it's always going to mute or the flavor, whatever you you think you're going to get, you're going to get a muted flavor of it. I mean, it's just, it's a science. You can't put rosin into a pot and expect it to taste like a dab. It's just not going to happen, you know? No. So that's why I was waiting for the market to kind of establish itself. So people didn't get like let down, didn't see like Skittles or strawberry and be like, Oh my God, I will say the honey banana does, does taste pretty honey. I, well, it's one of the cards, like strawberry, banana, honey, and banana OG are like the three ones that when you hit it, you're like, oh shit, banana, you know, like honey, like, oh, that tastes really good. But most most of the cards kind of taste okay to what you think they're going to taste like. They're way better than anything out there. Like uh, the one that I have, I've, I've was uh, testing it, you know, hitting it in and out, doing all my roots, driving around and. I was like, damn, this thing is getting me high. It's smooth. And if I can use it, then it's something that I can put my name on. Yeah. <clears throat> no, the, I know the ones that you're talking about. And they actually have – what's cool about those is they have uh, – they oscillate between two I'll different grab one. settings. So they, that's from AVD. And it's the, the disposable, the small little hemp disposable. And it oscillates between those temperatures. So it doesn't overheat. It's really nice. Yeah, I've noticed they haven't they had, the oil hasn't gotten hot and I've done a few big yep. draws and then tried to see if it will like start to taste like if, if I'll get the coil taste. And that's the thing is you get the coil taste. And that's one thing. I don't want people to taste Too hot. the coil when they're hitting yeah, that, the that thing. That one doesn't get that hot. Like it goes I think it's like 1.8 to 2.4. And then they're rechargeable as rechargeable as well, which is nice. You know, they're sleek. They have like a tip so that the air um, spins as it uh, as it comes up, and uh, yeah, they're definitely a much like much smoother experience. I'll finally release a pot because I think it's yeah. worthy of putting putting it in. Very yeah, cool. those are those are definitely worth getting. And it was uh, the company's owned by a grower that lived in Mendo and then moved hey. up to Washington. Yeah, they're really nice country. people. They've always been like always sent us samples and like jelly wizard i think you guys probably know of him he's um he's you know he's always put me on to them and that company i used to do the c cells and do them for personal and i i'd always make rosin cards but only to sell them to friends and people close by because it was nothing i wanted a package to do but once this came out and i tested them and did them and said wow this is something that like i kind of i took with me the other day because i was like oh shit i need something on the go don't want to hit the peak don't want to hit this other thing, but this pod was good enough. And I usually will never hit a pod, <laughs> but yeah. th this one was good. So, you know, I'll, yeah, AV, I'll, AVD I, makes some great products there. I'm hoping that people start designing 
things more for the rosin pod market. Like, I don't think this was designed for, this was designed, you know, for BHO, obviously, but I'm hoping soon enough that someone will come out and like design a product for rosin, like work with the actual viscosity of the product, make some kind of different openings, some kind of different like settings and like, you know, maybe don't have to prime it as much, you know, or a different kind of loading method. Like there's just, honestly, we're all just repurposing VHO product at this moment, but I've tried reaching out to, you know, obviously it's always China and Alibaba and speaking to them on WhatsApp, but I mean, none of them are really interested because their business is good, you know, um, but no one's like thought about actually making a product for the rosin people. And for how big rosin is right now, I'm kind of surprised that like someone like AVD or someone big hasn't reached out and contracted somebody to start making them a, a rosin specific Sovalence, you know, cart. It'd be well, cool. I think I think uh, AVD does. That's that's why they do the oscillation. And that's probably why it's the best over. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, no, they, I think he, him and Jelly Wizard, I think lowered the temp. I think uh, remember correctly. Yeah, he's a he's actually a really cool ass cat. Like super, he takes dabs. He's a smart dude. Um, he has a really good team of people that he works with, and I and I know that they did design a lot of stuff for solventless because they saw that it was overheating it, um, and you know they wanted it to taste better. They wanted to be able to deliver no. something. So yeah. Yeah, I'm glad they did because it's definitely a product that I can now safely, you know, want to put out with my name on it and know that people are going to be happy when they experience it. And it's like, mm -hmm. I love hash and I just want to smoke hash, you know. Yeah. So I know that when people smoke my hash or smoke something that I make, I want them to be happy. You know, I know they're probably like me. They really like it. They smoke hash. And if they're sad, I don't want them to be sad. <laughs> no, no. I want to be know? happy. On the go. No. You know? There's there the it's ripe for innovation. Like the the vape industry hasn't seen a lot of innovation in a long time, and you know figuring out whether it's you know creating two um, sort of holding ports so that the rosin isn't ex as exposed to the heating element or or whatever it is. I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation in that space, and you know I definitely it's very cool that you you know you it's being able to. I want someone to make something that that also can be like safely stored away in the fridge because with these pods, one thing is we, we make them all fresh to order because they're, sh they're shelf life. You know, they're like, we, we, we store them as cold as we can, but you know, the worst, you know, I haven't tested these with the battery, but putting these in the fridge will, you know, probably eat the battery life, you know, cause it's the cold. Um, um, but we haven't tested like with the batteries and the moisture, but the good thing about the, the separate pods like from seven ten labs, they do leak a little bit, but the good thing is you can put those in the fridge and you're able to store them for a lot longer and the shelf life is a lot longer. That's the one thing with the pods is the shelf life on them. For me, it's like, I don't know what it is specifically, but I do know after a few weeks, they start to change. You know, it's just like any other hash or product with oxidization and, you know, heat and temperature. They're, they're going to start to convert and get dark and not taste so good. Interesting. No, I think those are good points. I want to uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about your lab um, and how you wash, like what your personal setup looks like. Um, are you are you utilizing any machinery at this point, or are you all hand by hand? No, I mean you always see me. I always post a paddle, and it's not like some against machines. We've we've tested machines, you know. Like I was, I don't like washing with bags, so the icon wasn't for me, and I just didn't like the way the I don't really like what we call propeller and impeller style systems the bubble man machine I and mean, that's how i started was 
I used to use a bubble man machine with a fan speed controller. You could hook it up to a fan speed controller and you could slow down how fast it was going and you could really wash really slow. And that was like the tech for a while, but no, we, I, I hand wash. I, um, we use just the paddle and just good old hand washing, you know, good old kayaking techniques. Um, and, it, and I don't think it's, we've done test by test, like side by side, exact, exact same strength, same material, same amount of time with the same kind of amount of force to see what happens. So what you do, what, what I've noticed is from like using a bubble man, this isn't from using the other machines. So I haven't used them yet. I can't tell if they do that. I don't know if they do. They probably don't. Um, is you get the same yield, but you get different yields in bags. As in with hand washing, you'll get a higher range in the higher bags, like the 150, the 160, the 90, the 70. But with the machine washing, you get the same yield, but you get a larger range in the lower bags, the 90, the 70, the 45. And I don't know if that's because the heads are being polished or washed down and being broke because of the centripetal force and they're just getting smaller. So the nice juicy heads are falling down to your lower bags where I don't like the lower stuff. I don't like put I put in my rosin. You know, we, we do only the higher end stuff. So I, that's where we went to hand washing only because we could get much higher quality first batch rosin versus having all that fall into the, to the bottom. That's a super interesting observation. Um, are you a proponent of Frenchie's cyclone tech where creating that, that cyclone or that uh, movement in the waters and the suction that comes with it is what's going to separate the, the gland or are you more a proponent of the shift in the water is actually what, what, what moves the, what moves the gland off the stock? I mean, by doing tests of washing and, and, and hand washing it, uh, it's, I mean, the centripetal force does do well. But this, you got to remember, the centrifugal force also has a lot of G. So you're also pulling off a lot more plant material. Like I love Frenchie's stuff, but his stuff is a lot more traditionally like darker. You know, and it has a lot more, you know, color. And I think when you have too much force, you're not just taking that. You have, that's why I used to use a speed controller. Like there's some newer machines out there that you can really dial in how it does. And, I, you know, where, where you can have it do kind of like a hand wash where it goes back and forth and back or forward where it's, you can have it do. And I think those machines will probably do well. You know, I don't think it's about the centripetal force as much as just breaking the head off the stock. You know, if it wasn't, he does, I think he doesn't like to do a lot of freezing. So he needs more centripetal force to be able to remove that head off that gland. Uh, and it's greasier, you know, but when you're, uh, but when you're, ice brittle cold just a you know i believe just like a swift good you know paddles you know just i mean just dunking it in there you can start to see all the heads already break off you know just you know, well that's how i normally know how good it's going to yield just by having it do the pre-soak and seeing like how much heads are already floating around and then just paddling you know because we're doing a centripetal force but instead of doing it vertically you know when you're paddling it's just like in water, you're doing it this way. So you're spinning the water in a ball this way instead of this way. There's like, there's even washing machines now that spin this way, you know, instead of this way. And it's just a different way of like, of spinning. You know, it's, at the end of the day, it's the same exact method. You're just doing it in a different way. 
Interesting. No, I, I think that that's, that's a fair assessment. So, I mean, would it be fair to say that you would feel that there's a level of quality that can be attained in hand washing that cannot be attained in machine washing? Mm, that's a hard one to say, you know. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you have a really good machine and you dial in your techniques and you and your and you have the batch size proportion to the machine size that and, and everything is working correctly, you know, because you have diminishing returns. If you have too much material in a machine, you're not actually what you're washing more of the biomass than the material. And if you have too little of, of material in a machine, then you're just going to be beating it up. So you need to have like the perfect amount of material to the machine. I mean, same thing with the wash too. So, but with the wash, a lot, a lot less forgiving. So you can go with smaller sizes, you know, a lot less variables. I have to, I think a lot less variables have to be played with hand washing. So you can produce a much higher quality product with less math and work and effort. But I think machine washing can produce as good as stuff if done just as well. All right. I, think I, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think that uh, I think you've got a lot more variables to deal with when you're when you've got a machine. So, I think yeah, that there's a really fair assessment. You know, I don't think I, I, I can't say, you know, yes or no, if one is better, you know, but I can say that one has more variables than the other. And one's easier to dial in than the other to produce. Like if you want to just make some full melt and you don't want to press it, you're going to hand washing is going to be the way. If you're making a lot of cold cure and a lot of things like that, and you're not even worried about your micron mixing and things like that, then machine washing is going to be your way. You know, so it also depends on what you're doing and what you're aiming. You know, like we like to separate all our bags and everything you know and we like to and if something comes out is good for melt like oh shit no but maybe we'll do some melt you know but we like to have that option with a machine i kind of would take the option away of like maybe being able to do melt you know because you will beat up a little bit more in those higher and you won't get that you can't get that first wash pass small pool which is how you would get for full melt yeah yeah interesting I want to think so. I want to ask you about like large scale dry sifting as somebody with a tremendous amount of experience in the space more than most because a lot of people who Cuban would Cuban I think would be the most in that by far. I think he'd yeah. be the only one to answer the, the the dry like large scale dry sifting. Um, Have you put any thought into it? Like, do you think Cuban? Well, Cuban. I mean, well, Jungle Boys has done it before. If you, you know, Jungle Boys used to do all the dry sift rosin, if you remember, Addison, like, it was a big thing. But if you saw, they couldn't keep their coins from going brown, you know, and everyone would just trash them for a while. And it kind of hurt their, their full melt soberness brand, I think. And they're back on top, but that dry sift rosin just wasn't, wasn't it, you know. And, like, I think there's a way for it. But honestly, because of whole plant fresh rosin, just wash, you know, like. Unless you, unless you're trimming dry bud, and then you have the all that trim, um, you can tumble it and refine it. But the problem is, if you do not get the sift and the stuff perfect and cured right at that first hours, so you really can't cure the trim. You have to wet trim. No one wet trims, you know. So I don't think mass producing um, dry sift is going to ever really be a thing i mean prove me wrong maybe but i don't think it'll ever be a thing 
and it also burns way too easy. Like you don't dab dry sift good because it's 99.9% resin glands, you know, and it's very, doesn't have that like cured, you know, like cubicle from like when you're washing, it really is just like, you know, exposed to air and everything. I think it has a shorter shelf life. It is fire. It's amazing. That's that, that little package was 99, you know, sift. I think it's some of the most unique and everyone should try it once in their life. Um, but I don't think it's something that you're going to see mass produced. It'd have to be like, you'd have to grow for it specifically, cure for it specifically, and make some kind of like static tech. Like I've always, like before I got into flower rosin, I was like, how can I do this better? And we were sitting down with like, you know, literally with like going online and trying to get like two plates and making static balloons and just make, I was like, if I can make a machine that like, that you could change the voltage, you know, like, like a medical machine and you can change the voltage of how much your energy you're putting in. You can change like how much static you're getting. So you get too much static and you're getting stocks and everything and you get, you have to find just the right amount of static just to get the heads, you know? And I don't know if people are doing like vibration tags and stuff, but I just don't think anyone ever really dialed it in because you don't really see any mass produce uh, dry sift anymore. Yeah, I think human growers the only ones putting yeah. out, you know, still fire ass dry sift. Yeah, I think it fits in with all of the new, you know, it, it doesn't fit into a large scale or a, a scaled up model because you're not going to sell as much of it because not as many people are on it, but you can build a demand for it by doing drops of really small amounts of it. And then including that now into the new model of like, you know, with like your, I was going to ask you about it and kind of talk about it, like your marketing and, and how you got into the anime stuff and how you got into that art side, because you, you do these drops with the mood mats and you've got all the different colored ones. And I see people collect them and, you know, so I mean, like that was going to be like another question. So. I'm like, I'm a huge nerd. Like if people haven't figured that out by now, you know, like, I, you know, like in school, we used to get made fun of. And now we're like the cool kids. Now you got like people hype land and stuff dropping Dragon Ball Z. People back in the day used to make, if I wore this to high school, I'd get made fun of. And now it's like, oh man, that's dope. You know, so it's kind of funny to see the transition in the culture. And I mean, I've always had like Dragon Ball and anime as my profile but I've never branded my brand under anime. You know, it was under Cali Sifco. It was more traditional. And uh, a friend of mine was like, why don't you brand yourself? You know, do your anime and your stuff. And I was like, nah, man, it's nerd stuff. You know, like, I like that stuff. You know, no one likes that. But uh, apparently, no. Apparently, uh, a lot of people love anime and, um, and, and, and of things of, and mangas. Like, I have a collection of mangas. Gundams, you know, I have all that stuff, you know, really into that culture. So I just started, I guess, putting like my culture, what I really like into my hash, what I really like. And I guess it worked out really well, you know, and it's, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's all natural, you know, it's like, I, like I sit, watch anime all the time, do it when I'm pressing. So like, you know, I got the vibes going into the hash with the anime. Can you talk about your, uh, your friendship and relationship with, uh, with lock comedy yeah it's uh i mean he's he's a good friend i've known him you know before we were even like brands when we were just guys going together to events you know and pressing hash on hair straighteners and and doing things together and you know we just been friends and we just hanging out one day and you know i needed to transition a, a logo i was using 
you know, Master Roshi and um, and Toei Animation, you know, they they sent me a letter and and I love them. So I wasn't going to, you know, go against their wishes. And they asked me to stop using the Master Roshi logo on my uh, jars. And I and I, I was right. You know, I was just using their, their stuff. So it was about time that I made my own art and imaging. And that's when uh, a good friend of mine, Lot, really pushed me, Mike, as you know him, really pushed me to start doing merch and um, and help me create this uh, image that we created, the cloud and the paddle. Because like he used to laugh. I used to you know come to his house and I you know just to come hang out and I'd pop my trunk to like unload my bag and there's a paddle in the trunk or there's a paddle in the back seat. He would just laugh. Be like, dude, you just drive around with the paddle. I was like, dude, you don't know where you're going, man. Like you'll roll up to a place, you'll get a call on someone since they got some material. I mean, I, I can go find a trash can and some ice and test that shit right then and there to see if it washes, you know. Uh, you know, oh, so he, he laughed and we just turned that like that that paddle kind of into a into an image. And the Nimbus was just, you know, I love the clouds and we got high and kind of fit really perfect with the with the paddle and the the Nimbus and it became a whole thing. And, you know, lost my good friend. I don't think I would have done merch or anything if it wasn't, you know, for, for like a good friend pushing me to to do it. Yeah, he has that effect on people where he kind of. Yeah. You executed really well. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I mean, we're supreme boys. I mean, I'm like, I used to grow up. I don't do that anymore. But like, I used to be really heavy into streetwear and fashion. I mean, I still am kind of, but uh, not as heavy. But I mean, I used to when I was younger have like, you know, I have like a team of kids lining up at Supreme, you know, getting all the new stuff ready, doing all that. So you know, I've always like learned and followed more of like the new york and the fashion industry and kind of how to do like drops and you know we do limited stuff like we never want to run the same things twice you know like we do one color one drop one time you know maybe we'll do a restock if we only release like 40 of that one mat then maybe we'll do like a restock the second time but like the second time is actually the real drop you know the first time which is a teaser and then the same thing with like our prints we just want to keep things like limited and like fun you know it's like if I want to use it and put it on my desk, you know, it's something that I want other people to put on their desk and use, you know, hopefully we're trying to get into toys and things soon. Cause that's, I love toys. I mean, I collect so many toys. It's ridiculous. So I want to get into making my own toys here in the future. Yeah. You've really seen like guys like elbow see a lot of success, like outside of the glass world by leveraging toys. And- I mean, I've got a whole bunch of GZ and elbow toys and stuff laying around. So, you know, they're definitely really have branched out. I mean, I, I'm a collector of just like figurines and toys and things like that, as well as hash. So, you know, um, I see that in the hash world, people love collecting, you know, figurines and, and things like that as well. So I want to ask beyond what we've already touched on, you know, the California market and, and the the global cannabis or North American cannabis market is in a tough spot right now and, and, and struggling from, from many different pressures. What, struggling. What advice do you have for uh, makers operating or brands operating in, in the traditional space and in, in how to either weather the storm or, or bolster their brand during these trying times like what what advice would you have for those people well if you're a new brand just coming into the space that's going to be a hard time just period point and because all of us are having a hard time already you know 
unless, you know, I'm not saying don't, I, I want to encourage everyone. If you have a good product, you know, your small bash, maybe you don't even grow yourself. You know how to make, you have your craft dialed in and you have a really good friend who has his craft dialed in and you guys have some really good product. There's always going to be room for, I love finding people who have fire hash. I'll buy it all just to smoke for myself, you know? So like it, it, those people, I think, are always be around. I don't think if you make good quality hash, that's all you really need to do. Uh, I know like if you're trying to make bulk, lots of, you know, big competing with these huge companies, like, I, you know, I, I don't compete with these big, huge, you know, companies like West Coast and all these bigger brands. Like, you know, if you're trying to compete with those people, um, well, that's hard. You need to, that's, that's rough. You need to have multiple farms dialed in multiple flavors, multiple people, you know, I stepped back and said, I'd rather do smaller amounts, dial in my flavors. And it's the same tips I'd give to anyone is just take a step back, dial in your flavors, things that you like, do not grow what everyone else is growing right now. I know everyone's going to say that, but that's kind of the problem right now is everyone is growing the same stuff because uh, it's easy and we're just getting cuts from other people and no one wants the pheno hunt, pheno hunt find new flavors because that is the ticket in right now like if you're a new person we're a person who's struggling find new flavors find something new do not grow rainbow belts <laughs> don't grow skittles i mean because skittles is fire and it'll it'll sell but everyone's skittles is sells the skittles you know if you want to actually start making like a name for yourself and doing something find a flavor that's amazing and good and that you can call yourself or that's just more unique and that you can start branding around and, and producing that. You know, it's hard to make a brand right now with everyone else's flavors. It's just not going to happen in my eyes and opinion. Even we're moving towards a lot more different flavors and pheno hunting just because we notice like a lot of the same flavors are on the market. Do you feel that we're heading towards a time where cuts start to be held a little bit tighter than they maybe have in the last five five years where you know, the, the cuts have been freely moving for quite some time. And I think that you hit the nail on the head that, you know, and Addison's been talking about it, you know, genetics, genetics, genetics is what's going to be important to differentiate yourself. And so I think that that's going to slowly close the doors on, on, you know, sharing because those, that's really what defines the maker and the brand going forward. I think it's going to go back to the old days. Hopefully right now it's not right now you want to cut any cut you want that's rare or exotic, you can get it for a price or for a trade or for a this, it's available. You can't, you know, like name a cut there. It's out there. It's like you can get it, you know, even the honey bananas, you know, if you talk to the, you know, right person, you know, and get the right stuff, you know, but some people also pop like elemental seeds and get other phenos and will, you know, not have the, the same cut of it. But, um, I think people are going to start going back to keeping their cuts back in the day. Like if you wanted to cut a Skittles back in the day, good luck. Like even Poochie's papaya, the original, you know, the original Poochie's from Poochie himself, that cut was not available for many years, you know, and it was kept, you know, to a select few. And until the flood of releasing that cut came out, now everyone's got papaya. So I'm, I think it's going to transition back to a phase where once somebody finds a really good winner, they're going to keep it because if not, they're just going to flood the market and create the same problem that happens. They they're going to have to find another new winner um, because everybody has that flavor that they just won and they have released. 
Yeah. No, I think those things kind of trend up too. They, they come and go because, you know, like Jameson was saying, you know, everyone had, you know, wedding cake, anything that dumped like the GMO, everything got out and it gets traded, but there are certain things. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think also I was, too, you're seeing, you're seeing the, you're seeing hash breeders catch up with the amount of hash makers and, and the fact that solventless is going crazy in the last two, three years. Now there are, ha there are breeders that are breeding for solventless hash production and they're using progenitors that prove well, you know, to, to, to bring those, those sort of Alice's to the table. And that's like, that, that's what's happening too. So there are more genetics and there's more strains. Like I've seen in this last year, I've seen fucking a lot of people eight, are eight strains. I've never heard of never before. Seen. And you're like, oh, that's one God. thing. I'm starting to see lots of new things that are coming out because people are catching on, you know, they're keeping, they're keeping it low key and secret, which they should, you know, and they're, uh, and they're starting to find, you know, like, we're doing cheeses, you know, like a lot of people have been posting like the cheese is going to be the new thing. And, you know, like we have posts from like, you know, last year that we already started, you know, planting lots of cheeses and, you know, hunting because I love cheese and Kong from all greens. That's like one of my favorite hashes. So, you know, we have like the cheese Skittles, the, you know, UK cheese, uh, cheese, uh, cheese and like uh, oranges, just a whole, a whole bunch of different cheeses to see if we can, you know, find a good cheese. Um, but yeah, you're right. The new strains and people developing stuff. It's like, I think the flood of the market is forcing people to do that now again. But I always tell people don't judge a strain either by the strain, judge it by the maker and the quality. Just, just because it says rainbow belts or Skittles or, you know, like the belts market is flooded, but judge the belts by the maker because like, there's a lot of different things out there right now or a lot of different straw like strawberry banana, for example. People are like, oh, I don't want it. But like judge it by it because you might get a strawberry banana that might blow your socks off. And you're like, damn, I need 10 of these. Or, you know, tastes like a milkshake inside of a milkshake inside of a strawberry, you know. So it's like just because the strain's played out doesn't mean it's not amazing fire and someone has a really good version of it and they did it really well. Uh, it just means a lot of other people did it really not so well um you know so yeah. it's like i don't judge by the strain I, I will buy it and i will open it and i will smoke it and i will dab it and then i'll judge it I'm, you know i won't say anything's played out until i smoke it because i will never say gmo is played out i will smoke gmo to the end of my life it's one of my favorite trains if i want to get knocked off my socks you know smell just skunk just gmo onion cookie you know gmo does it nothing else can replace gmo for me for that terpene profile but bad gmos yeah they suck now pull too early they don't get you high and they're kind of like man flavored so to that sure. note do you feel how do you feel about naming your pheno or naming what's coming out of your garden or what came out of your room um your washroom to 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 identify that as different like there's so much in the market now that, you know, you could be confident that coming to market with strawberry banana versus coming to market with some un more unique name is you're probably uh -oh. going to have more effect. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there fits, there fits times for that. Right. So like I wanted to name the belt something different, you know, because it, it was really honestly something in my opinion, we've released two different belts and the people who have smoked my belts, they can, you know, probably weigh in their opinion, but the other two belts we've had were good, but they weren't this belts. You know, this belts was just a lot more Skittles and Sprite and lemon and Kush and just more. And 
could have called it dirty Sprite or Sprites and lemons and stuff, you know, and gave it a different profile. But I, I wanted to let people know, like, this is belt 3.0, you know, even though it's flooded and you don't want it, you're going to like it, you know, and then they did. So I think there's times, but like strawberry banana, we have, Fino, like we've gotten another Fino of strawberry banana and that's what we call it in strawberry jamba because strawberry banana is kind of like a really strain that is hard to kind of put out these days. Now everybody wants it. It's funny, but like everyone always asks us for the strawberry jamba, which I, I tell them, I always tell people it's just strawberry banana, but it's, we call it strawberry jamba because strawberry jamba is a great name. You know, I'll take some strawberry jamba, but it really tasted like a strawberry jamba from Jamba Juice. So I think name changes should, I mean, whoever created the strain created the name based off what they thought it tasted. So they just made a name. And if you make it into hash and it tastes completely different, I think you kind of have the right to also change the name, but you also should tell the people what it came from. You know, if they ask you, or you, you know, I'll disclose it on the bottom, you know, or, you know, you things like give credit, give credit to yeah, the original yeah. breeder. You know? Always. But there are certain strains like there's a lot of people who have taken strains, gotten phenos and then created a name from that pheno, you know, because, you know, like that's what it most expresses. Like if I dab something it, and, you know, and it tastes like lemoncello, but it's like sherbet, you know, I'm going to call it lemoncello and say it's from sherbet, you know, but I'm not going to call it sherbet if it tastes like lemoncello. It's like it's not it's mis it's misleading to the person and no one's going to want to. You know, you are not going to want to even open it and try it if you're not getting that like that experience of the yeah. name. So I think names have a fit for everything. You know? Yeah, you can't go too hard and just be renaming things to try to trick people and do all that kind of stuff and try to sell your product. That's that don't do that. But names do fit for if you're trying to like find a certain flitch. If you're trying to express a unique terpene in your jar, then a certain flavor might express that well. Yeah, versus yeah. just saying it's belts. If you pop 90 micron from Bloom and you're trying to, to put it into a market and it's a, it's a strawberry profile, you know, I think you, you might want to name it something more like what it would be experienced as than, than the name it was given by the breeder. I've, I've renamed Bloom Seed Co. before and even tagged them in the thing and told, you know, it was a strawberry guava something 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 you know and uh and we just called it guava papaya you know because the name whatever the name had just didn't really fit and it tasted more it had no strawberry taste and i didn't want to put strawberry in the name because it would be misleading to the person dabbing it and but we still tagged him like strawberry guava you know blah 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 but this is just guava papaya so like yeah yeah, i do think that there's certain plays in that where it takes place but like as you said, it's good to always, you know, tag the breeder or mention them or let them know, give them credit for their hard work. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the always. day, without their hard work, you won't have hash to make. <laughs> yeah, them and the grower. Yeah, Unless shout out to them and the grower. Yeah. Yep. Unless you're both. I wanted to uh, to ask if there was like one lesson that you wished you had learned earlier in your career either in business or in the in the hash room that you could you know pass on to the listeners um who are following in somewhat of a similar footstep 
have more if, if, if you know you're doing something well and you have a good craft and uh, have more confidence in yourself and just don't let other people um, take advantage of, of something. Maybe take a little less money or just, you know, work for yourself or maybe not take the the dream picture, you know, that someone's giving you at first um, and work on yourself and, and promote yourself first because uh, um, sometimes it or a lot of the times it doesn't work out the way people are going to say it does. Um, that's first. Uh, and then second, um, I don't know, I guess I wish I would have gone on to hash sooner. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, um, yeah, definitely confidence in yourself. Like I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself in the earlier days in Cali Sifco and things like that. You know, let a lot of different people take advantage of, of the things that I could do. So working for myself and putting confidence in myself was, was definitely the biggest step, you know, getting out of my comfort zone, get, getting out of your comfort zone is the biggest thing. Like if you're trying to make hash and stuff, um, dude, get on a car, drive, 10, 12 hours to a farm, you know, meet some farmers, do, do, do something you wouldn't do. You know, I, I was living in LA, you know, that's not, it's not something I would like normally do. Now I drive a truck and go to farms and stuff, you know, go to the farmer's market and, you know, have cows and, <laughs> but yeah, get out of your comfort zone. Um, definitely it would be the biggest thing for hash. Cause that's the only way you're going to find like these awesome, you know, strains or cool opportunities or, you know, even I find new strains, all, all the time by finding a new grower that just growing in his backyard just you know has no instagram no no nothing just the dude who loves the plants and it's just some old guy and has amazing weed and strain you know and we talk and hit it off we meet at the gas station you know we talk about trucks and then weed and plants and bam this guy's got some um, orangabang you know weed that's just amazing you're like damn i can't wait to try this out and grow it you know so definitely get out of your comfort zone as i say that's awesome, man. Travel, I, you know. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I say travel. Get up, get up, get up north. You know, like if you want, you know, if you want to find good hash and stuff like that, like LA is the place, always will be. LA is the scene for everything. I mean, I come to LA for all my work. Um, but come up, come up north, you know, sometimes. Go go to the beach, go go see some, go kayaking, you know, go see some farms, go check out some other hash that's not hype, you know, or anything. And, you know more experience how long till the industry rebounds jay like, man we've been talking about that with a lot of people um i think we haven't hit the bottom yet so we need to do that first in order you know um for it to happen like like someone was saying in posting if you have a good brand and you work on making sure that your product is first and, you know, and you're not worried about the money, you're not chasing the bag and you're worried about just putting quality product and, you know, customer service is really good. Like I talk to everyone, you know, all the people I, I love talking to people about anime, hash, weed, video games, whatever, you know, um, I think those things are helping. Um, but there there needs to be, I think, like a real bad dip before things are going to really get better. And I, I think education, a lot of the new consumer base that's coming into the market to buy hash maybe would have been people who smoke bho or like the, you know they're not as educated in the solventless market as all of us have been for the last eight plus ten years you know they're just getting into it so they're not educated they don't know what they're buying what good like if you've never had a wagyu steak how do you know what wagyu tastes like you know so 
Um, it's like that. They don't know what upper echelon of hashes even tastes like or can be. You know, you know, like ha we have hash pairing dinners that we've done and things like that. So I think more um, visibility um, and more education is what it's going to take for the hash market to really like refine itself. And then it's going to have its tiers. You know, it's always going to have, you know, you're always going to have your Budweiser. You're always going to have your Heineken's. You're always going to have your your crafts. You know, there's always going to be a place for everyone, and everyone's going to shine in those certain places. And no one should ever dog on any of it. I used to smoke the lower grade hash when I when I couldn't afford it, you know, and I moved up to the mid top and the high end. So everyone has something for themselves. But I think it's going to take a lot of education. Shops aren't educating at the moment like they used to in the 2015, 2015 days. Yeah, they're not telling the consumer. This is what this is. This is soberless. This is that. You know, like there's none of that going on. It's just you walk in. Here's an iPad. What do you want by? You know. I, so, I think it has to be done differently, and I think it goes through events like Legends of Hash and and other soberless events that create awareness around the culture and the space and the unique culture that is soberless. Um, the amount of work that people put in, you know, and stuff. And so, like, I think, there's. Like, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was saying there's like cheap stuff and there's good stuff. And like, there's just not visibility for the newer people to see the differences, like the, you know, like craft wine and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and, and showing the individuals that understand and appreciate those nuanced differences is just as important as explaining them because you, that's how, you know, all these wine documentaries, the Psalm documentaries and things like that, you know, th that's explaining the differences and then showing the individuals that that actually care and showing them uh like experiencing these different wines and, and it's, it's not for everyone you know some people don't want to experience a 12 taste coursing meal of different things from around the world you know some people just want their their steak you know and that's it and, and that's fine you know like, I, I appreciate both of those but we're, we're more about the the experience of the different things and the different flavors like that and uh and i think that's going to be coming you know back around too People are going to start being, you know, educating more. Like 710 Labs has been doing more education in their pop-ups. We have Hash Legends. You know, we just had the, the Puff. The PuffCon thing was pretty good. It was pretty cool. But, it, you know, wasn't you weren't, you weren't able to educate or smoke or anything like that. So, you know, in high times, well, that is definitely the wrong way of educating. So it's like the opposite of what you want in the cannabis industry, in my, in my opinion, of how you want to educate. It's just pushing bad product onto people, you know, so... I think just more education, promotional videos, you know, um, as Sovalence gets bigger. But I think the dispensaries really need to be the ones that are being more educational and stop acting more like just like come in, get what you want. And back in the old days, when you walk into a dispensary, they asked you, you want Sovalence? Do you want BHO? What do you like? You know, now it's more about like the brand and this and the that, not really about what the product is. Yeah, I think it's up to the manufacturers to incorporate that that educational stuff into the marketing. And it's smart when they do, but that's it's really on them because the more that they do it, the more that they open their eyes to the consumer. Because like for us to like to take a second, people need to take a second and stop and realize that there are people that have never hit a fucking slurper. They have no idea what a slurper set is or the difference between a, a cap and a marble on a slurper set, like they, they have no fucking idea. No. We take it for granted because we're we're in this. We've been bubble. doing this for too long. Yeah. Yeah, we're in this bubble, and we're like, oh, you know, oh well, I would never fucking smoke melt through a through a fucking slurper, <laughs> like you know, all this shit. 
people are like, well, why not? And you're like, he's silly son of a bitch because you're going to cool that, you know, like uncivilized. so many intricacies <laughs> to, to it. And that's, but what I'm talking about is, what I'm talking about is that's what legends is. Legends is that end of the spectrum of like fucking banger baskets and bar. like, dude, I was, I was yesterday days old when I learned how to actually use a banger basket. Cause I thought that it was like, Oh, you have your small side and that's where you throw all your little shit. And the big side is where the big shit goes. And oh, like, yeah, be done. It's like, no, you fucking, you put your pearls and shit in the small side and you dunk and clean in the small side. And then you put your, and I was like, I don't fucking know that. I was just, so it's like, there's so many deep things that you understand from, you know, fucking sucking. I mean, on fucking there's surfing. educating from how to smoke to what you're smoking, what you're smoking. like that, smoking. a lot of that education just kind of got lost because I mean, all of us know it. My market already knows, you know, like I don't have to educate my market. You know, I still sometimes yeah. do a little bit of re-education. You know, I do the fresh press things and the, and the cold cure things and like the flavors, but like I want to do classes again, but more educational where we educate people on flavors, pairings with like, like if you eat a blueberry and take a dab of honey banana, oh my God, it's like the best thing you ever, you know, like certain foods and dabs really make the experiences amazing. But a lot of people just don't know also how to dab certain, like I get asked all the time, what temperature do you dab Skittles at? Well, like depends on who, but you need to dab it at lower temperatures. So I think a lot of education on smoking as well as what you're smoking just in the future needs to happen for like, there's just too many new people coming into the space who haven't been around, who haven't gone to high times and who haven't been at sashes, who haven't got yelled at their friend for Chaz and the banger 10 times, you know? I think that so you, you just, you just gave me an idea. And uh, so I think we should start doing this, Jameson. We should start asking makers what temperature they hit different strains at. So then, so then that could be like a normal question. And then people could be like, Oh, well, see, but everybody has had, everyone has to have the same fucking tap tech. I use that, you know, I use the one of the ones I got at, uh, at uh at hash legends last time which Dude, mikey i already was just showing us that crazy shit mikey's showing me this handheld that what's up mikey shows me this handheld oh, that has a video it's the on thermal it. gun the flur the thermal yeah. it's like a thermal I mean, camera that you just put it's on a fl it's an actual flur military grave thermal Dude, camera it shows the temperature like, of different things in the video so it'll show that's like, what we need to do you know everyone needs to have a flur you know <laughs> and then, and then but yeah like but having the same, because like I don't use the dab rights and the temp techs and all those, like not to be against them. It's just everyone's is different, you know. Like yeah, that one has been the most consistent overall. Like I have like ten of those, and whenever I travel somewhere, I just buy a new one, just because like this is nice too. The the new uh, every single new one I bottle. use is the same. I can set it to six hundred degrees or six six ten for where I want it to be, so it gives me enough time to like rush over to my dad you know i still i need any time you know and then i hit it at like 500 but all of them are the same where my dabs my temp tax all my other ones that i've had every single person's house is like they all have like a, a puzzle you know like how you use it how you hit it going too hot going too cold and it's just it couldn't i couldn't get over it now yeah, i just bring okay. mine there's like a very steep educational learning curve that's that's there, but I don't know if it's the right point of attack for us to start at the bottom with education. Like if we look at the rise of anything that, you know, 
grew up during our lifetimes snowboarding for example like snowboarding didn't get cool putting out educational videos on how to turn right you know on your no. toe side and your heel side snowboarding got cool because a bunch of dudes were launching themselves off shit and making it look crazy cool and they weren't explaining how they did it and to most of us it looked impossible so i i tend to lean on the farther side where I'm like, let's show the absolute extreme of this. Like, you know, and that's where I commend legends and things like that because, and people go, oh, well, it's not inclusive. And oh, well, well not everything in life, the Olympics are not inclusive. No. So, so it's like, I, I feel as though if you show the ultimate high level of it, individuals will see it that absolutely don't comprehend it. And a small percentage of those individuals will start their long journey of figuring it out. And, mm -hmm. and, the low hanging fruit of being like, you know, this is a banger and this is a carb cap, I think is going to get snapped up by these MSOs and, you know, be able to be put into easily digestible pieces. But it's really like the the, the culture um, that we showcase and document that won't be able to be replicated by those MSOs that we can we can kind of be like, thanks, we're going to take it from here. Like you get you get the consumer in their early infancy. You get them developing, and a lot of consumers will stop, and they'll just be happy with what they what they're consuming at that point. Yeah. And, uh, some of them will move on. Most won't. And at that point, that's when when the transition happens. Now we need to just you know expose more. I mean, our culture isn't really shown to the newer people. Like when you tell somebody the cost of some of you know like you know the rigs that we saw at that table, you know, you tell a no a person who just dabbed. For someone who's even been dabbing for a minute, uh, the the prices they're they they're just like, what are you are you out of your mind? A house, well, you know, like well, so. show them a timer, show them anything. I mean, look at the like, not to fuck with anybody, but but even the alcohol some, and the everything bangers out there, bro. Like I see people posting videos, and I'm like, I can't I do black bangers. Healthy to hit that rig, never mind. And that's just normal for some people, you know. They're hitting dark material, and they're they're in the middle of fucking nowhere, or I mean, I even see like some of the TikTok shit that stays up that people will repost that you see. It's like, oh man, what know? I see on Reddit. Oh, bro, it's it's oh, man, crazy. what I see on Reddit. Or, or just you know, for the for for example, go on Amazon and put in like, you know, quartz nail set, <laughs> and it's like slurpers, and it's all this knockoff shit, and it's like twenty dollars. And then you're looking at it, and you're like, wow, that that artist developed that nail. And he sells them for, you know, they sell them, the real ones sell for $700, you know, but here's this, you know, but the point is, is that they don't they know. know a lot more. They, lo they know a lot more, but they don't know what that is. Like, I don't, you know, it's like, it takes a minute for that. So we're, we're kind of at this weird point where we have so much exposure to so many different things, but that's, that's kind of, I think what people need to understand is like legends is like a spoonful of all that stuff at once, because it's, you know, like, like we're telling everyone this year, like, hey, just bring your rig because there's a sponsor for torches and there's a sponsor for the, the ISO baskets and there's a sponsor for this. So there's all these things that are going to be there that are, you know, part of the experience. I brought two last year, one for Mel and one for Rosin. Mm -hmm. You know, I was See? like specific. I was all like, this one's for Mel, this one's for Rosin, this is what I'm doing. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of what like things have come to, I think, too, is it's it's because there's so much equipment involved. There, there is all these ancillary products to help, you know, yeah, simplify I think the process. I you were saying more videography needs to be done, you know, like 
you know, there's not a lot like we, we've, I've been wanting to hire someone, you know, with like really good camera to come out and do like a really nice video of like the wash process. You know, like I've done videos myself, but they're not like high quality. Like you would see on YouTube, high 4k, you know, like pulling freeze dryers out with amazing diamonds just zoomed in, you know, like we really haven't had anything like that. I know 710 and like Papa and Berkeley have done some stuff, but nothing on the level that like I would envision, you know, like some Kanye West level shit, but with like hacks, like show like people paddling and then like the freeze dryers, the press, the washing. I think there just needs to, and then, you know, and then also the, like the sessions as well, like hash legends and even like the private sessions. You're like, I don't think anyone takes like GoPros and like records and really builds videos and like everyone kind of keeps it. It's private. the only way we're going to keep it going, especially in this culture. Like if we think that, you can continue being like, oh, well, the real cool thing is just you can't show anything. It's like if you can't show anything, it's going to die. It, it, I mean, it, I love showing things. I mean, I, I have to be private because I get deleted all the time. You know, it sucks. But uh, it's like yeah. I love showing, you know, like my hash. So I, I can't show my process anymore because whenever I put a process up of my video, like I put one up like last week of, you know, we were pulling one of the biggest yields ever. It filled like three trays on the first pull. I was like blown up and it got deleted instantly. So it's just like, you know, I just can't post a lot of things on my Instagram that I would want to because they, they instantly just get deleted. If, and I have to start like yeah. a website. If the cannabis industry was treated like any other industry on Instagram, oh my God, we could feel like you would see a finite, like you would be able to chart it financially if, if we would be able to, you know, communicate, but there, there will be a platform and, there will be a new solution one day, uh, but right now yeah, that's why I'm always hesitant on the videography because, like, you know, I always want to take videos of the grow and every process. But you know, at the same time, we're also in a traditional market, so that is also mm, kind of not good to have all the you know videos of all that stuff. But it's like, but we're in this middle market where people want to see all the process of everything. Yeah, it, it it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be cool to have cameras at Legends this year. Um, I think that there's, oh, nice. you know, a lot of footage that can yeah. be released kind of to get Because last year we didn't do any this footage, right? Yeah. yeah. This is the I, first remember, year ever. My phone, was, my phone was locked away. Yeah. yeah. It's a, in the past, there's been like journalists that have been invited that have gotten to come and then write about it. And then, but I think those stories that are written have been, you know, given approval by legends. So they've kind of made sure that they didn't have certain things in them. So now it's, this will be the first year that people will be able to pull their phone out and actually post online and put that stuff out. So that uh, is it's good. Gonna very, you know, it's going to be very it'll, interesting. I think it'll bring a lot of uh, attention to people like the hash. Like, you know, I was able to take, you know, I, I went home and took a video of every single thing afterwards, but this will give people like an onsite time to uh, post and take videos and more uh, document, you know, you know, dabbing. And, you know, I, I think I'm going to start, like you said, I think I'm going to start posting videos on like, how to dab and, you know, and the, what temperatures and, you know, using the little light box, with, you know, with a little camera set up, you know, trying to get a little camera set up so I could do a little bit more educational on, uh, you know, like what I'm dabbing, what temps I'm dabbing, you know, and, and like, you know, if you're using a slurper, you got to hit it slower. If you're hitting a cone, I mean, sorry, if you're using a charmer with the cone and the ball, you got to hit it slower, you know, and then there's people who like to hit it harder and faster. And I say then the slurper is better for you because it cools down quicker. So you get your big bang and then it's done. But if you're like a slower puller, then you know you go for the charmer. You know, that's where you're going to like it better. 
And yep. and that's like the deep dive into the culture. And I think like between, you know, legends opening up for cameras this year and like just the positive reinforcement that like even just documenting melting of the heads and putting that out and all the positive uh, feedback we got from that and and the the proliferation of hash events like across the country um even up here in canada we're seeing them um i think that you know it's it's going to breed a community and a culture of competition and hopefully healthy competition and you know i think that if we're all if we all meet a lot more it'll it'll breed maybe a little bit more of a healthy competition than unhealthy um, yeah, yeah, no, there's been some like, un, I mean, recently, there's definitely been uh, more unhealthy competition in the cannabis space. I haven't really like, I don't like talking about it, but there has definitely been like a negative, like I always think there's good positive competition, you know, it's like, there's never, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm never competitive. I don't think I'm the best or better. And I don't think anyone's the best or better. I, I just want people to make good stuff. And it motivates people when they smoke something really good to go home like i'm gonna make something really good you know i like that kind of competition but there has been some newer competition in the market that's kind of more like downing others and i never i never like i don't like that when other people are downing anyone especially in our space if they're trying hard to make some product like help him you know give him some tips or something but downing him is not gonna help him or anyone else around yeah, the hash community should be like the gym you know if somebody's in there you shouldn't yeah, if they got little weak arms, journey. they, they yeah. should say, yeah. you can, you know, I can still wash, you know. Yeah, they're on their journey, you know, you got to let them, yeah. you can't really, can't really fuck with them. What, uh, Jay, overall, like, let your, your impression of Legends, uh, the first Legends that you attended, like, what, what was your, what were your takeaways? Like, how, um, did, you, how did you think of the event? What did you enjoy? I, mean, what, I, I need to bring, I need to bring a, well, this year I need to bring a freaking a hash press so I could, like, flag hash out, you know. I think, you know, because like that's one mistake is not having, I had parchment, but I needed something I wasn't, you know, flagging, flagging hash out just gets you better, easier dabs because you're not like trying to scoop them out and stuff. So mm -hmm. flagging my dabs out for full melt, um, learning that because um, it's hard to like, and you can see the clarity of the full melt and the particulates too and everything when you uh, flan it out, you know, with a little heat press and you can put a light to it. You can really get a better review on like it instead of hitting it in the banger and seeing how much residual is left and stuff. You're already going to see how good it is there. So I think well, you, you, have, you have more time now to judge and you get to take your kit home and then you come back the next day. So you have the next morning to kind of like fuck around. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah. Pressing out the melt, you know, and having more time. Cause I definitely did not have enough time to smoke all my dabs. I got like, I, at the end, I was rushing through to like try to finish. I was so high already because I, yeah, I need a little no break. Judging before, so before there was no judging, so it was like there really wasn't a time limit. It was just like try everything, see what you like. Yeah, try, and then yeah, as it ran out, yeah. So I, I was just like, I was just sitting there, just I was just high. I was just sitting there. I didn't, you know, I was too high, so I didn't like I didn't go get things correctly because I was just stone sitting down, you know, like yeah. uh, trying to get through Which my entries too. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. works too. It's like it is it is an open hash bar, so I think people are going to respond differently to it. Some people, you know, that are raised a certain way will react a certain way. No, I think people, people should be I mean, hopefully people hopefully people are respectful. You know, I think most people are, but uh um yeah, you know, I mean, like I think the that's that's what's great about the fact that you're creating uh, a guest list. So, you know, that one friend that you have that's a little too crazy, you're definitely going to be like, "All right, well, 
you know chill buddy are you doing are we doing judging this year yeah this so this so from last year a lot so of i've been so busy back. with like all these events back and forth that i haven't really caught up on like i've caught up on everything but it's been in my mind and slept past it so yeah a lot of the feedback we got was like you know just different things like lighting and you know more time to you know to to be to be with the hash but then also to judge like hey we want to judge each other we want to give each other you know, sort of our rating on what this stuff is. And we want to see the heat come and we want to be able to, to judge it. We want to have winners in each category. We want to have split categories. So now we've addressed all that stuff. We've added judging. There's three different categories. Water. Yeah, I already tell me. Now I'm remembering everything and that's smart. Uh, that's uh, that, that probably would have been all the advice and tips I would have said would have been, you know, like maybe have like uh, two separate categories at least minimum. And then, uh, yeah, lighting, because it was really dark. You know, we were like, you, I was using my light a lot to make sure I could see the hash properly because I really wanted to see the hash. But yeah, lighting, I think, but um, and, and times. So, I mean, I think you honestly addressed any of the things I would have said. Um, you know, the gift we bags listened. are amazing. You know, like yeah, I think, they you know, with, we listened. So you know, like everything in the gift bag was like the most. You know, the banger. The I mean, I I used I used everything in the bag. It was a very you know, it was something that someone thought like, oh. Someone's going to use all these products and, you know, and they're all, you know, they were all, they're all useful. So that was great. Yeah, no, we try to curate and the same thing for this year, but we've tried to improve on that as well. So it's like, you know, bigger sponsors curating exactly what's going into the, into the gift bags for each of the different attendees. And then also figuring out like, you know, the awards, we don't want it just to be like, oh, here's your fucking trophy and then start putting out these standard ass trophies that everyone has. It's like, it's just, I, I think that it's better to have, now we have social media. Someone's going to yeah. post that they won. There's going to be a post that you can go back to with the logo to see that they won. All you should get like, like Bubba's face to make some daggers or something for the winners. So, so, well, that's what we've done is we've, we've, or something like that. This, we've taken the sponsors and we're allowed, we're having sponsors put up products and in, in part go. of their sponsorship. So now if you win first place, it's a gift basket with products from all the different companies that are, you know, that are customized to, for first place. You know, you can now you can have that that ISO thing on the table. Uh, you know, if it's, you know, Deppy's making awards for every single one. So, oh, that's awesome. Like chalices that he makes. And, you know, so that's you cool. It. That's going to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so banger basket. There's a terp suve for every first place. Okay, there's just these really cool baskets for each one. Toro just secured their sponsorship, so they're doing a bunch of slurpers. Um, so it's it's that's you know, gonna it's, be cool. We're building it up that way, and, and we're not doing it to try to be different. We're just doing it because this is this is what's necessary to to feed these 250 hash minds. You know, there's 250 people in the room that know exactly what the fuck's going on in the industry. They, they, they love fucking hash. They're all about it. They want to see some dry sift. They want to see some different shit. And, and it's kind of like this top end of that consumer end of the market for hash, because there are also a lot of people that have, you know, disposable income. They're, they're in the industry. They're doing these types of things and they're at this level. And that's like, you know, whether it's these big glass, there's, you know, huge glass. In the room. There's a, a bunch of, you know, not just glass collectors, but then also, um, there's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, different makers that are going to be in the room. So they're from the same industry. And then, you know, equipment companies all the way into, uh, you know, 
uh, component that you can think of. But but on that that consumption high end level of that, you know, it's because that's the other thing is that it's it's the most hash anyone's ever been fucking exposed to, and it's a guest list that's selected. So it's not, you know, we just sold 25 tickets for the first time ever. 25 people that we selected, you know, they requested and we got to kind of take a look and see. Um, for the first time ever, someone's been able to buy a ticket to Legends. So that was kind of the first. But we wanted to also make sure behind the scenes that we were like, okay, let's look at this person's social media. Let's see, you know, does this person fucking get down? Because if you're in that room and you don't get down, it's probably not going to be a great experience. You're going to be like, what the fuck are these drug addicts doing? Like, you know, you're not going to understand that it's, that it's like, yeah, there's guys that hit fucking, they have, they, they don't have a slurper. They have fucking three slurpers and they rotate those bitches and they have three sets and like, that's what oh, it yeah. is. And you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar piece of glass on every fucking flat. You got to have a dry slurper ready for your, you know, for their next dab and a fresh slurper oh. in there and one for the next. So you can just switch them out. Oh, and then, or or you've got the you know the lot comedy, you know ISO barbarette fucking thing. Oh yeah, yeah, lots, yeah, yep, yep. It's just it's it's there's a lot of that that's going to be there because we've also catered to that bringing you know bringing in you know lot and different artists and putting all this stuff together so that it's you know but then also what what do those consumers like other than really good hash? They like great food, so let's get a really amazing fucking brunch caterer with prime rib. Let's bring in a sick ass bakery. Let's bring in a barista that can make all the coffee drink. Like, let's do it in a way that it's also like, it's opulent, but it's but it's an experience. It's a it's a getaway from, you know, some of these other events and some of these other things. That, but you'll get to experience it. So it's it's not just a maker only, you know, kind of event. It's it's a it does have that component to it. And the makers are the only judges none of the other attendees are judging they're, they're going to get we want them to go there and enjoy the hash and then the other thing that that we don't talk about a bunch is that you know every every entry that the maker puts in their name and their company name and the strain is on the bottom of that jar it's not a number it's done in a way so that it, so that it could be promoted in the room because this whole thing is really about you know it, it's being honored you know honoring the makers and then giving them a platform to promote for the rest of the year you know, just because you got selected to, to compete in Legends is enough. You didn't even have to win to use it in marketing. The fact that you got selected and that's your entry that went into Legends. So it sets another bar, you know, and, and I hope that it kind of shows other competitions and stuff. You should be doing the same thing. You should give these guys more bang for their buck for putting in the entry, for doing it so that they have something they can market for the rest of the year until they go back or until they possibly get invited again. So we just try to add as much value to the attendee, to the maker, to the sponsor. You know, yeah, if you're everybody. a new if you're a new maker or a small maker, it's definitely very ben beneficial to get your, you know, your your branding and your name, you know, out there and, and in any way possible, especially where where the where the people are gonna buy your or consume your product, you know, that community. And usually find that community are at, you know, certain events, you know, certain yeah. private events and things like that, where you're not really going to find them in the, you're not going to find them winning a high times, you know? Um, no, no, that that's, you know, you need this to win high times as everyone knows, but it, and then, and then look at too in the past for places like for ego and other stuff like that, you had completely, you know, splash and Helios and guys who like a lot of people didn't know who they were came out of nowhere and won. And then now it's like, you know, of course, 
we look at that and we're like, oh, we want to fucking definitely invite these guys to. Yeah, come I in. mean, they definitely got you know, like even me, even though I had a good, already a really a big established name, winning Ego Clash was uh, was was like an, even more people wanted to get stuff, or even brought new people who have never met me into it, and being smaller and winning an event that's heady. You know, in my opinion, it's like I don't think winning events really matters at all. If you have fire ash, you have fire ash. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. But if you're a smaller person who has not really been out there, who hasn't really been branding that much or hanging out, you know, like I think I know someone who's going to bring some really fire who hasn't been very well known, you know, who just might take the cake, you know. I'm, oh, uh, there's going to be he's fucking. He's got some I mean, you fire. Have 40 you know? makers. You know, I got, I think, you know, and these are people that, you know, winning uh, an event you know, would, would like a lot of people who don't know them would be able to see and recognize and be like, yeah, I want to try out that fire ass shit. You know, it's the That's stuff the that I smoke, you know? Yeah. We were talking about it. Like if you're an, if you're an out of state person and you saw that post for the 25 tickets and you bought a ticket to the brunch, you're going to get to go to brunch and there's an open hash bar with, with 60 strains, 60 entries from 40 makers and you just fill in your pockets and enjoy like that's fucking galactic dude that's like whole other you know experience for people and i think that that's it we're stoked to be able to to put that in there and, and let that kind of go down this year but again you know we had to make sure that they weren't like you know fucking rubber bong on the table in their post and it's like all right hey as much as i really want you to be there you would fucking die within 18 minutes and we'd be you know, we would, you wouldn't it wouldn't be a good experience, experience for you, yeah. and, and and we would be wasting like a space for someone who could have a better experience. You know. Yeah, and it's and you know it's uh, the other thing I love about it is that you were you were just touching on it. Like a, a brand new person can come in, and if it's judged by the makers, they're still going to give them flowers. They don't give a fuck. It's like this is the best one. So we're this dude won. We don't know who he is, but this motherfucker won. And I love that part about the, the that end of the hash community because it's all about like very honest, very transparent. And that's why we put the judging on the blockchain for this one. So we've created a judging platform that's on the blockchain. It's 100% transparent. You know, it's 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 I hope it changes the way people do judging because everyone who's everyone who gets to go to this thing and wants to buy into who won should be able to see how they won. They should be able to go in and go, oh, OK, this is yeah. Oh, so-and-so voted this and that and that and that because that judging also gives you an understanding of that maker and what they like. And, and that's all part of the data, like part of what's going on there. So I think it's, I mean, something that one might not even be something that someone else considers the best, you know, like I might, I, I thought something else that didn't win actually two or three things that didn't win at hash I, legends. I thought was like, this should win. This is number one. Yeah. Like, I would never, you know, but it's, so it's the like, you get to see an, an, an insight. Happened. And it's also good because a lot of people get to, you know, see or meet each other, you know, after being on Instagram and maybe kind of building up uh, a persona or a mind of how they are in real life. And it's like a lot of us are just really nice hash nerds. Like, like there's nerds and then there's just hash nerds. A lot of us just are nice. We'll want to talk about hash. Doesn't matter who you are. You want to talk about microns or terps. We will sit down and man, I will get you high and we will talk about hash you know <laughs> so it's like it's a good experience a lot of people get to like you know um meet people and like you know and put a face to the name and a personality to the name and share some experiences of hash yeah it's gonna be uh it's a bigger space it's indoor outdoor 
got a lot, you know, it really focuses on a great place to sit and make your, your space to sit at and to dab at. Just like, you know, when you, when you go to a sesh, sometimes we all, we've all been to those sessions and you get there and it's like, fuck, am I going to break my rig out and put it on this card table and then have these dudes all leaning on it? That's fucking, like, like, it's this could be a pile of hours and, in the case, you yeah, know, dude, and it's like, yeah, we yeah. wanted to make sure that like every table is super sturdy and every, you know, there's security there. There's all these things there that we want to make sure that we paid attention to. So that, and we're looking forward no, to it. You know. Even if, if anyone is expecting to bring some super heady rigs, you could always, uh, I'd advise just getting some extra large dab mats, you know, like the cork fat pad, you know, mat. So if a rig does fall over, it just falls over on that pad and it won't ever break, you know? And they're like, they're yeah, cheap, some, some cork. And I'll, I would advise people to bring, there. I would tell people to bring fat, long, big corks just in case. Cause I, you, at events and when you're getting this high, elbows, this, that, anything we can knock a rig over in the heads we had like two million dollars of glass on the table and like we made it we made it work so it, and, and never mind we, if anything broke Debbie could have fixed it right there you know yeah, yeah. yeah. The whenever i'm around that much glass i'm just like I, i'm always just like nervous for like me and everyone i'm like <laughs> i've never but, seen it i've honestly i've never been somewhere and someone like broke a fucking uh, a heady or something i've just never seen that before i've 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 seen i've seen quite a few very expensive non-replaceable pieces broken i've seen i've seen some i've seen other expensive won't say rigs dropped as well but not broken but saved. so i i think I've, I've experienced it you know and i've had you know people explode dosas and drop mothership ferraris you know around me and so i'm just like that it's been ingrained in my head, you know? Ugh. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it just makes me sad even thinking about it. But no, most people that we've been around, they take care of their glass so well, you know? And they have so much expensive glass. Like when I see them just walking around sometimes with this glass, you know, I'm just like, wow, you know, like that's crazy. The only, yeah, time, just... the only time I'm ever worried is when I see alcohol at a sesh. As, as long as there's no alcohol there, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty I like. Think not, it's I'm good. Not. The alcohol, the alcohol scene hasn't really like been around too much in our sessions these days. You know, no, that, it doesn't suit so well. I think it's more like, you know, it's, it's. I think if people want alcohol, well, they think just think about it. The two don't mix really well. Like, and I think the, the other thing that see, was popular also left the building. So I think the only, I think hash is kind of smoking been, weed, smoking weed and alcohol. You know, the okay, you, you drink it, food. you know. But but you you introduce you get someone drunk and give them a dab, it's fucking lights out. Like it's not. No, it is. It, it, we're it. spinning. You're throwing up. It's not a fun. Like no, even me, I'm, I'm tolerant. I can smoke grams. You give they me some shots them. or some you know, beers and you take them a dab, I'll be gone. I'll be throwing up, spinning. Not a good time. I don't yeah, like so alcohol and dab. You know, it's a. Uh, it's more. It's it. It's so hash centric. It's so just like yeah. fucking hash on top of hash. You need to be healthy to smoke the amounts of hash that we're about to smoke. Like drink lots of water, eat up, good yeah. food, you know, like that. That's the kind of things you need to do when you're smoking this amounts of hash because your body is going to start going into shutdown and sending signals to your brain that you're dying. And you have to tell your brain, I'm not dying. I can take five die. more of these, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you might die. If you do yeah. die, it's, it's you won't die. Well, it's yeah. downtown LA, so we'll just throw you under the highway or something. <laughs> you'll be good. It's okay. <laughs> the first cannabis-related death. 
No. No, there there was one in Massachusetts recently from some uh, packaging. Some guy was packaging joints or something, and he fucking. I was saying, I was saying, not to smoking. I don't. I, I don't not think. Funny. You I'm not funny. I'm not about his death. I like. I don't think you could even inject cannabis, and like enough would give you an overdose. You would just fall. Asleep. Your body would just shut down and fall asleep before enough of it did any harm. Yeah, well, I you think just eat some ice cream and go to bed. I've I've had a, I had a few edibles this week, some Jelly Wizards, and uh, taken a few dabs, and I couldn't remember how I fell asleep last night. <laughs> you know, I woke up like, oh, I was still on the couch, like didn't even make it to the oh, bed. Damn, I've been there. I've been there myself. Yeah, my, my dogs loved it. They were like, oh, he slept with us tonight. <laughs> yeah, Gary. Gary came to uh, visit the other day from Colorado, and we were hanging out. And I was like, he's like, do you have any edibles? And I'm like, I do actually. And I had all these chibachus and green hornets. Oh man, these, like flavors that he hadn't seen before. So we're like opening these packs of green hornets, and then before I know it, I'm like. Did we just, just come out of milligrams no- each? Like they were like, yeah, I think we did, dude. The we were gonna go to breakfast the next day. I think I woke <laughs> up at like nine a.m., which is the latest I've slept in like five years. And I was like, what the fuck? Like I call him. I'm like, dude, I'll, I'll see you at eleven o'clock. Yes, see sure. you eleven. It was like, and, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, dude, but it's it's nice. It's a warm kind of escape. You know? I don't know how to not go easy on edibles. Like I always eat like the whole thing. So I'll, I'll take like yeah. 150, 200, 300 plus milligrams. And then later on be like, why am I so sleepy? I'm like, well, because you couldn't That's just like eat two one. days of know? my life. It like, prevents yeah, yeah. smoking. In my opinion, it's, edibles will, will cut down on the amount of hash you want to smoke. And so, I edibles mean, will cut down on the amount of everything. <laughs> on the amount of everything. <laughs> yeah, amount of life. Just life just kind of seizes you want less when of you everything. Just eat a bunch of edibles. Do, do yeah. some edibles. Right. Yeah. I don't think I've ever smoked so many more, um, hash donuts that's one thing that's gonna be the new the new thing i have never consumed that much hash because you can't consume that kind of much and i can't dab fucking an ounce of hash in 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 a sitting you can smoke an ounce of hash and donuts like you will sit there with like a few people there'll be one or two donuts lit and then by time one goes out another one goes up it goes out. Yeah. Another, there's never not a donut not lit. So there's always a half gram to a gram being smoked every like 10, 20 minutes. So you go through ah, yeah, those donuts and the, the tolerance, man, I've never seen so many people high in my life than seeing like yeah. people smoke 20 donuts just back to back to back to back. Everyone was just floating. They weren't, they, they weren't walking. Everyone was just hovering around. Everyone was just. <laughs> yeah, I have a rule in public where. If someone passes me something or if I'm going to smoke something, I, I won't hit what they're giving me. And unless they give me a new one and I can smoke it myself. But if I'm in my house and I'm with someone and they're, we're passing something, I'm fine with that. But like just the I don't know, like the outside outside with everyone. I'm like, I didn't see. see I don't know if we were lucky. It was a group. Like, I don't know. it was a group of personal people. So it wasn't like it was like a group of like. 15 friends that were all there to roll donuts, you know, and like smoke. Just so it's like, super lit, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you were not, you're it's not sharing, set. you're not passing yeah. with anyone, you know, and then, and then, and then like, everyone's got the new, like, I call it like the Roger text. I saw like Roger doing it once, but, um, um, just like taking it and putting it like, you know, with your mouth and then like having it go up in the air with like the joint, you can actually get a really nice seal. And cause I don't like hitting after other people's joints. I'm pretty picky. Like I'll be like, roll me my own. <laughs> Yeah, that's like lot shit, you know, when kids would like chill on their hands and like put Yeah, like that. I'm like, oh, doing that. Like Dude, that. that thing works that that works honestly just as good, if not even better than hitting the joint. If you get I mean, some good suction going, you know. What works even better is a dab. 
which is crazy. Your hands, those, are, mean, those are fucking awesome. Like, I mean, yeah, at, at Legends, there's no smoking flower inside of the building. That's good. I mean, that's good. I mean, I mean, I would never allow smoking inside of a building unless I had these just the best ventilation ever. Because every yeah, single event ever been to that allows blunts and people smoking in the inside, I usually try to leave early. I can't breathe. It's just too much, dude. I don't even dab. So we have, we have an outside area. There's an outside area that you can go and smoke flour and and have good a time and do whatever. That's where I'm. Yeah, I might, just for just for dabs. Yeah, the, the the donuts have ruined my tolerance. I'm kind of like stuck to smoking those like every now and then now because they just they just get you oh, so nice. like they get me as high if not even higher than a dab. I never thought I'd say that, but uh, you know, and I don't well, really smoke flour. Same stuffs in it. You're just you're yeah, just, but if you you're, you're fucking combusting it instead of at a way higher temperature. Also, yeah, also don't degrees. smoke a half gram at once. So a half gram in a joint is definitely but a listen, lot more. No, 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 no. Like you have to understand anything you smoke, half of it gets smoked when you, when you stop hitting it. So you put a gram in only a half a gram is going to be possible for anyone it's who's smoking. Still a get. lot of fucking hash. I don't take that in a dab. That's like a whole day's worth of dabs. You take more in a gram. You're taking I, one. I'll, I like the math is this. A gra a gra every gram of cannabis has 150 milligrams of THC on average. Yeah, Every yeah. gram of rosin has like 800 to 900 milligrams on average. When you put the two together and you put it in a joint, you have to cut the milligrams in half immediately. And then you cut it in half by every single person that's passing it to the next person. So smoking joints is a, a real shitty way of getting high, actually. Because a dab, a single dab can be 60 milligrams in a hit in one no, no. dab. No, no, no. Is it efficient? No. But will it get you really stoned? Yes. There's something about the combination of flour. Yes. Because I, I don't yes, really yes, smoke yes, flour. Yes. There's something about the combination of flour to and I wasn't I wasn't really a donut person up until just this recently until getting good donuts. And now I'm like a really a well done donut, you know, like Dan's rolls up and a few other people. Um there's a whole bunch that make really good donuts, smaller yeah. people. Um they're they're amazing. Like they get you, they get me just as high as a dab. Not all at the not all at once. Like a dab is gonna hit me just all at once. But I'll take a dab and then I'll continue the high experience with the donut. With like the donut, on the, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not like one or the other. It's like you're doing this and you're doing these. You know, I don't replace. I'm, I'll never replace dab. I'm I'll, I dab way. I can't smoke too many joints anyways. But to continue the high of your dab, yeah, it's perfect. It's like you don't go down. You just like take a dab, light one of those, and then move on with your day. Yeah, and then no, you were just many, many ways to skin those cats for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Have you so have I, you I like, thought about? Uh, oh, go ahead. I like traveling with like you know portable rigs and stuff, but they just like don't really do it for me. Like I really like the quartz nail. Like if I'm gonna take a dab, you know, it really has to be on a quartz nail. I feel like I'm wasting the dab if it's not like a quartz nail yeah. with a heated and a banger you know it, it's a good experience it, it cuts it gets the job done but it's not the same mm -hmm. if i can go to yeah, my car and light up my rig i will there's there's like uh there's so many different ways to do it but i think when it does come down to it they serve their purpose you know if you're if you're in transit or doing something different one of them will work and well, if you're a flower smoker, you know, like a lot of the people I know are flower smokers and not really hash smokers, but they'll smoke hash in the donuts, 
you know, yeah, but they I won't. I mean, the other thing, it's like, you can't do everything everywhere. Like if you're, if you're in the bathroom on the airplane, you can't take a dab. So you have to hit the carta. Like you have no choice. You got to hit the, no. you know, I mean, I'd love to like take an actual dab. If someone does a video in the fucking bathroom at the. What do you mean? You've never seen, oh, what's his name? Oh my like, God. It, I think everyone Travis remembers him. Um, Guido. No, 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 no. It's, it's another guy. He used to, he used to go to Japan and do it with the elbow glass rigs. He used to blow it in the taxis. He did it on the airplanes. I can't remember. He did oh, it on United. Fucking, um, you know what I'm talking about. He did it on he did United it Airlines. He's the one that got all of us in trouble. He did it in the restaurant too. It's um, Otis stabs. Otis. Otis. Otis straight up hit a bong. Like, oh, I don't even know. It was like a mothership or something. And it was a dino. It was a dino in the fucking, in the airplane, in the little bathroom. Fucking torch set up and hit it and everything. I do remember now. That but is I'm an talk, FAA. I'm talking like breaking out a fucking, you know, a full set in the bathroom and just setting it up for like oh YouTube video status and just. No, that is that is. I don't think anybody wants to risk until they kick you out. Dude, that's 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 not even a kick you out. That's a you're you're gonna land. They're going to arrest you and you're going to jail. No, the only thing that's illegal is to tamper with the. the you're telling uh, me taking it. Tamper. They're not gonna arrest you for taking a dab in the in also, the. Like if you're on a PJ, we haven't seen that yet. Where somebody just like is on a private jet. Oh yeah, yeah, the the, the jet suites. You yeah, can, yeah. I think the reason that you don't see it on the PJ is because, and someone told me this because I had mentioned it to someone who has a PJ that travels on it and does dab, and he was like, "The problem is this: that video is is evidence that would then reflect on the pilot and get in trouble. While, and the pilot can lose his license because the the because he allowed it whatever yes or even if it happens he's liable for it so that's why they're like look if you want to don't videotape it don't definitely don't post it and it's like you know but they there's also a thing too about if you don't own the jet then the jet has to get cleaned and they have to flush the entire air system in the in the jet and it costs like 40 it costs more to do that than it does to fucking rent the jet (laughs) So Dude, like some GMO. A, it's like thirty grand for a fucking for a private flight. But if you, you do this, you, I've heard it's like forty five thousand dollars to fucking clean the plane correctly, and they'll charge you that fee. So most people don't fuck around, you know. They're like, and and the people that would do it, it's usually like the record company's jet and this shit, and that's less, you know, like less nowadays too. But yeah, I just I've get really high before the plane. You just get uh, super stoned. I hit shit in the bathroom. I hit fucking dude. I'll just. Dude, I'll take three of those fucking seven ten pods. Put three of them in my mouth, like a <laughs> tape them together, you know, and just make like an ultra potter shit, you know. Triple blinker in the bathroom, and then you hold it until you fucking have an aneurysm and fall over. Like, <laughs> dude, I, I, every time I fly with my girlfriend, I come back to the seat, and, and she's like, "You smell like pot." <laughs> like, oh my oh, god, I. Uh, I'm like, I've done it in the airport bathroom. That you know, that's the I have like you know the that's it. You know the travel. That's it. I'll, I've done it there with with that with my little freaking vaporizer. But that's the only place I've done it is the bathroom and in the airport, not the airplane. I've done it in the airplane, but not like a full dab, not like a yeah, 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 like a torch. I, no, feel like if you bring I mean, a torch, I, I can never get a torch. I mean, you can't get a torch past us. You can get a torch past security, but it can't have any butane in it. You think like. If you took some like nice strawberry terps and then you on a rented PJ and you blew it through like you know one of those like uh, 
Smoke buddies? Yeah, whatever. I think you could get away with strawberry or like honey banana or like one of those Maybe. fruity or strains where it smells like because my mom my mom smokes a little bit of cannabis. And when she smelled like the honey bananas, you know, strain, she was like, Oh my god, it smells like food or like, you know, artificial cologne or something. So I think you could get away with it with like certain artificial strains that really smell like fruit. I'm gonna work hard until I can smoke dabs while i fly and i'm just gonna keep working i'll either die or i'll smoke dabs while i fly and then be happy but like that's my that every time i fly i sit down and like i just want to bust my rig out and i'd be like i don't care how long this flight is i got my phone i got my rig i got some dabs let's Dude, go. wouldn't that be dope just to be able to bust it out like even, even if it was just a vaporizer not like an actual like glass you know if they let you just pull one of your like preferred vapes out that's cars you know. for airplanes you know, like, you know, legal. airplanes and cars. Yeah, but I mean, like, vape, vape pens aren't legal. So it's like until. Well, it's like, just hold your baby's nose when the fucking. Hold your baby's nose. nose. What, what, I wish this, is, this, this ain't the 60s airplane. anymore. We can't just smoke cigarettes on the airplane anymore. And, you know, and drink like babies. We should, we should just have planes with no babies, right? <laughs> we should be able to argue. We should be able to take footage. <laughs> old plane flights with cigarettes being smoked and be like, if you allowed this then, we're just we should be able to do this now. We're doing we should be able to smoke cannabis. I mean, hey, when Biden makes this federal legal, if he ever does, if the old guy doesn't die, you know, before that happens, uh that'd be amazing. Um, you know, maybe 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 some things will start to change when cannabis actually becomes federally de you know, declassified as a schedule dude, one. Dude, I've seen I've met and hung out with and seen you, you have your first smokers. 420 hotbox airline, you know, once it becomes declassified, it'll be like, oh shit, I'll, I'll, I'll host it. I'll, br I'll bring the hash for free. Just fly me places. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any, any hopes for that guy because I, I know hash smokers that have more cognitive understanding than fucking Biden ever will. <laughs> Just cognitive just, resources than he does. Like, dude, <laughs> that guy is. Did you see him fall on the bike and all that shit? You're like, bro. I, I, I still think he, they're just keeping him alive. He goes at home at night like, like a Tesla and they plug him in, you know? He's Bro, just... It's like weekend at Bernie's over there is what the fuck is. <laughs> yeah. Just... They're just keeping him up. going, you know? Oh, my God. And you ever hear him? He's like, you fucking whippersnappers. Like, yeah. I love so him. So, I mean, I don't – just I miss George Bush, man. Dude was crazy, yeah, but Trump. he was – Trump was so entertaining and so – You know, George, at least George Bush was sending was monkeys to Mars. Insanity. You know? He, likes, he liked weed. He sent monkeys to Mars, you know? George Bush was was good for cannabis. Yeah, his dad not so much, but you know. His dad's a dick. George Bush was very bad for cannabis. Actually, he was like raiding dispensaries when fucking yeah. cannabis was legal in rec in medical states. That, that dude was he's trying worst. to make his money. Oh fuck, that guy was the never mind. He's a CIA baby. No. <laughs> fucking oh man, there's there's like I fucking I fell into this rabbit hole on these crazy podcasts, and one of them was about this uh the connection between the CIA and the Bush family and all of this crazy shit. And like, and it starts with like the Bay of pigs and Kennedy and how Kennedy like pulled the ground forces from the, the CIA invasion of like the, uh, the Bay of pigs. And there was supposed to be this like preemptive strike that happened on the ground, but they didn't have that. So then a bunch of agents got killed. So then there was a flip and this is like real shit. There was like a flip yeah, yeah, no. side of, the intelligence uh, community where they were like, fuck this president, fuck these people. 
And that's when Kennedy got assassinated because they pulled, like there's all this crazy shit that connects it. And I was just like thinking to myself, I'm like, these corrupt motherfuckers and all this shit that they've done. And, and, and this like, all we're asking for is you to govern us and fucking make sure the money goes in the right place. And, and you can't and that do that. You're murdering each other. Like, oh bro, it's deep, man. That's why I just smoke hash and fucking, you know. I don't get involved. I mean, I vote. That's the other thing. I, I, I vote so I can. No, I, 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 I vote because I try to, you know, make sure I get things that are good and beneficial for me and, you know, pay my, I pay my taxes. But, uh, you can only no, have I, so much of it in your head. You know, being up, uh, being up in, you know, humble, it's definitely been, uh, as they say, a humbling experience because I'm a little bit more away from society. You know, we, we get our food fresh and our, our vegetables fresh and, we don't really have to deal with like the, you know, patriarchy of like the government system as much up here, you know, like harassment of, you know, officers or anything like that. We're kind of, we're kind of like everyone's in their own world and bubble up here, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, no one fucks with each other. Consolidating too. So it's, it's got that consolidation that's kind of happening where some people are leaving and there's not as many new people coming. So it's kind of a getting even no, more sort of like a lot of. Not a lot of pe new people where I live. Like, I was one of, like, the newest, you know. Like, it took me a while to get accepted where I'm at because I was kind of, like, one of the newer hash makers to move up here. And I kind of came out – I kind of came from L.A., you know. Uh, so I wasn't – you know, I was kind of seen like an L.A. boy at first. They didn't really notice that I was – I was here to do the work. I was here to wash and make hash. Mm -hmm. They thought I was just some L.A. kid, you know. But, uh, no, and now I – you know, most people are like, you still in Humboldt? I was like – I'm a humble person now. I love it up here. Yeah, like it's, it's my home. Clean air, it's my home. good living, cheap. It's a lot cheaper than LA is. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, other than the the rosin carts, are you working on any new projects for the coming year? I mean, well, we have the well, the ros. Well, we have the seeds. The seeds are dropping. The seeds are dropping. The feminized seeds are dropping. The are rosin. Am I correct? The rosin. Am I correct in saying it just it wasn't just the S ones? There was also a cross. There was some there's crosses. like four four. There's gonna be uh, four crosses dropping. Which ones are those? One second. Take your dad. No problem. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Little Alia Labs by Zito made Zito by Alia Labs. So yeah. high for that backwards. It's really good. They've been putting out some really good wreck stuff recently. I try to pick up all the wreck stuff and, you know, I, they, I get gifted it or I'll buy it myself and support just to market research, see what's going on in the wreck market. Most of, the time, most of the time it doesn't please me, but Indian Labs is definitely killing it with some of their shit right now. Oh. <coughs> so we have this seed drop coming. Yeah, it's the S1 Honey Banana, but we also have <coughs> Honey Banana Belts, Honey Banana Papaya, you know, and this is our belts and our papaya, the ones that we've like, that we think that are the best versions of them, um, Honey Banana Trop Cherry, um, Honey Banana Jelenade, and Honey Banana Talimon. Nice. Yeah, so Trop Cherry, Talimon papaya belts and uh and yeah those are the ones that plus the s1 so it'll be five different uh 
uh, four different crosses and one, you know, S one dropping here soon. <laughs> Any uh, anything in the world with uh, your friend Lot? Oh yeah, right. <coughs> um, so we're gonna have uh, new merch dropping. Like, uh, we've been like, teasing. We did a little small drop previously of like our purple hoodie or like purple hoodies with a little embroidery, but. We're going to have um, the hoodies, like hoodies dropping, clothing, you know, winter's coming, you know, stuff for like washing as well, like waterproof, you know, Carhartt stuff for like for washing. Um, and of course, he's got a new print that he's been posting that, you know, you can't ha you can't start washing hash all day if you don't start in the morning. But um, um, yeah, we have a few merchandise and really just focusing on flavors this year. Like we have the pods, we have the seeds, which are the two focuses. And just new strains, you know, like I am growing a lot of like my staples that I always love, always want to grow the honey, the papaya, you know, some GMO, rainbow belts, a little bit, Skittles, a lot of, because I just love it. And we dialed it in this time so we can actually mass produce Skittles, both in the clones and in grow and in wash, which wasn't really something we could do in hash before. Um, so getting that down was good. So just, yeah, doing more new genetics. I think we're focusing on really um, finding new things. Like we're excited for the cheeses, you know, excited for these crosses that we have because I love the honey. I think I'll never get rid of that. But um, searching for new things. I think that's really the focus on this year because, like, there's not many new products. I mean, we're going to do an edible. That's, like, the one last thing I have not done. And then it's just because whenever I do something, I want to, like, I want it to be executed perfectly and I'm really picky on choosing everything. So I want the packaging, the box the this, the edible. And like, we kind of have ideas for how we want everything to come together. We just need to execute it and uh, get an edible out. I think by the end of the year, we should have like a proper edible. So I have the edible, the pod and, you know, continue with our, with our hash, you know, we'll probably slim it down, be more small batch and just have, um, cause we're going to pheno hunt and do flavors. So, that means that we have to sacrifice having, you know, more batches because things won't yield as well. Are you working with uh, specific breeders or your own your own stock, or what are you doing there as far as your pheno hunts go? No, I mean we have our own stock, and I I mean I did my project with my partner, so he does breeding, you know, and he's been teaching me how to do breeding. I'm not a breeder, you know. My uh, Masonic made a joke. He's like, you got to put breeder in your hashtag. Ah, not there yet, you know. Uh, but it, but it was a project, and we did it together, so. You know, we're, we're starting to, you know, chuck pollen, get some things. We have our own things going, but we're starting to, like, backlog, and, you know, go through, like, you know, like, EQ genetics. You know, that's the stuff, like, that Royal Key used to have when I used to work for them. Like, these, like, really good land race strains, you know, like, you know, cherry pies, um, sours. But I think trying to go back to what made all these crosses and, and things themselves. And I think the original strains, see if we can get them. Like, we had a... Um, oh, what was it? A uh, it was like this really nice orange. It was a, it was like some African haze, but it was all up uh, red Congolese, the red Congolese, and oh man, it washed pretty well. And it was such a unique. It, it said it was a haze, but there was no haze whatsoever. And it was like one of the most unique profiles. And I think like Doctor Ladybug has done it as well. I've seen him do it, but yeah, the red Congolese. So like trying to go back and do some like you know, some old school strains and find some new things, you know, like CSI Humboldt and they have some really cool crosses like BX ones and Skittles and Cushes trying to find some, 
some gases and OGs because that's what people want. People want OG and gas. They just don't wash, you know, and and they, and they don't translate. But we are trying our hardest. We have some like OG KB right now that's coming. That's ridiculous. It just smells like just oh, like some of the most like like like, like a pie and OG. And then um, you know some sours that we're trying to get going. But I think the Kush. And the gas, like the original cushion gas, not this new stuff, runs and all that. That's what people, I think, kind of want in hash. Because we have fruits. And there's a lot of that around. But there's not this, like, staple, like, good. Like, we have Legend OG that we're testing out and stuff. Because we really want OG. We want sour. We want, I want to be able to open up a jar and just be like, I want to smoke OG right now and sour. And that's not something I see available in the rosin market, like, at all. Like. You can't really buy or smoke that flavor daily. It's not that's that's a treat if you get some some of those hashes. For sure. I think like, you know, there's definitely guys on the East Coast that have been holding that sour and you know that that sour hasn't gone anywhere. Um, but I think like on the on the West Coast, I mean, shout out to, to our good friend T Beasel, like all of his early wins in the Emerald Cup were with sour. Um, I know I, I know Mr. Tbizel very well. Yeah, so sour yeah. have been been making its rounds, you know. Like, and I know yeah. like, a lot of East Coast cats get real bent out of shape when when Cali guys are like, "Oh, we're we're leaning into this, we're bringing back the sour because like, you know, you, you got to know how to wash it too. She's a greasy strain, you know. It's it's not like it's not a novice strain, you know. It's not GMO and cookies and cream. It's not going to just do its thing. You have to make sure you know, like you you focus on extracting it well because that thing is a bag greaser you know it will you will ruin some bags not get your yield it's you not have a fun day you know gorilla glue and sour d are just like you're having a, a really good day or a really shitty day depending on how uh how you set up your wash yeah man it's uh it takes all kinds but yeah it's it's awesome to hear that you know you're diving into the flavors. I think like we touched on earlier, like it's genetics, genetics and having unique uh, flavors to offer the people and also having the control of, you know, growing the plant, seeing the plant grow and then being able to harvest the plant properly and, and, and wash it, I think is super special. So yeah, like we still collab. Like we, you know, like I don't want to name some of the people, but like we collab with people, you know, some big farmers and, and like we, you know, but we do most of our material, like, but we're able to be selective now. Instead of making our full menu, like, collabs, our full menu is our single source. And then we can collab with what we want from other people, you know, with things that, that are good, things that we fit that fit our menu, you know. And then we're able to represent them, give them collabs and stuff like names and, and help each other's brand. Um, so we still collab, but, um, yeah. And, and it's nice having all three, you know, the, you know, like, Having the farm that I'm able to have, you know, with my partner, being able to do the outdoor, the indoor, and the light depth really gets us like a cool insight to all the resin, you know, we microscope and get to see the difference in everything. So I like I like offering all three. And and I and we honestly don't ever put on the jar what any if it's outdoor, indoor, or if it's light depth. We just if it's the best of it is, it's in the jar and you're getting it, you know. Interesting. That's it. I like that take. I mean, a, a lot of people try and be more transparent, but if it's like, hey, this is the best of the best, 
I, I think it's misleading to say because people think I, when people hear my rosin's outdoor sometimes i'll get i'll get dms like yo some someone told me your rosin some this batch was from outdoor uh and i was like well some of the stuff you did was outdoor like there's no way this is outdoor and i was like outdoor resin is amazing it's yeah. just yeah. as good as indoor honestly i've had more bad indoor resin than i've had it outdoor because if you don't flush and you don't do it well you don't do your rooms you don't have a nice setup you don't have control humidity all that i mean your resin's gonna come out there's a lot more flexibility outside you know sun soil feed boom you make some good hash you know so but that's why i don't like putting it because I, I think without the education it's not you know putting outdoor sun grown or putting light deck or you know greenhouse or putting indoor um doesn't make sense unless you know um, I just want to put the best quality in there and then the person gets to judge it, you know, it's like, and no one ever can tell me the difference too, if it's an indoor or an outdoor or a light deck, I can't tell the difference. So. Absolutely. I mean, I, I can tell the difference on texture. That's the one thing. Once you start working with a product a lot, I can, you know, when you're whipping it, I, I can tell the texture of each consistency. I can tell you where it came from. But other than that, most people can't tell you, you know, the difference. What is, what is it is what, is the outdoor grainier than the indoor and then the sun grown or the light depth in the middle? No, that's strain dependent on graininess and also just on how somebody whips if they're not whipping their stuff and just strain. Just really, that's all strain dependent because the outdoor honey banana is not granular. It's very like taffy and indoor honey banana is, is so they, there's, there's multiple variables that play into me knowing the, like when I look at cold cure, you know, especially like, you know, like more taffy cold cure and stuff. Like if it's more stringy and more malleable, I know it's more full spec and more outdoor, you know, or if it's very white and almost like if you get it to the side, it's like translucent, like on the dabber, it's like if you put a light to it, it's actually not opaque. It's translucent. It's almost like glass that that's usually like indoor, you know, that indoor makes that really, really white see-through resin, you know, and it, and the and the cold cure when you get it just a small amounts of it it'll the light shines right through and you're like damn this is just white clear but the outdoor resin doesn't do that as much even though it has more flavor and it's wetter when you put the light to the outdoor resin it doesn't have as much of like a see you know it's more opaque it's 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 more it's it's like deeper and it's it like yeah it doesn't transmit the light through to the yeah. neck yeah i know yeah, exactly it's not, it's not as crystallized you know the indoor i think the indoor has higher thc and less terpenes that's why it's not as wet sometimes and it just has a really good crystal structure like you'll see sometimes like little crystal chunks you know in the in, like the some of the batches we just done recently there's like fat crystal chunks growing in the cold cure you know and you really have to homogenize and break those crystal chunks down mm -hmm. man Super interesting stuff. Jay, I appreciate you taking the time, man. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thanks, um, you guys. Thanks for having me. It's, you know, my, like I said, my first podcast, my first time talking to some people. So I appreciate sure after, it. After this, you're going to have people reaching out because you're, you're, you're full of knowledge and you definitely, you know, articulate yourself well about, about resin and the plant. And that's, I, I just, I, I love hash, man. There's just nothing more to it than like at the end of the day, that's all I want to do is make really good hash and smoke really good hash, you know? Where is the best place for people to find you, Jay? Um, I mean, there's different places. There's like, there's Kush Clinic in LA, you know, that's like, that's one of like, 
the main spots you kind of can like easily access. But then I have a few reps uh, down in LA that if you find, if you come onto my Instagram, I have my reps posted on there and they're all very friendly people that are good, you know, reputable and easy to work with. Um, but, but as like a delivery service kind of thing, the only people was kind of like Cush Clinic. And then for uh, private people, I have like four to five reps down in SoCal. They can uh, be able to purchase the product from. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate yeah. you taking the time. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, man. I appreciate you guys. And uh, you guys have a hashy day. Absolutely, bro. And we'll see you at Thank later. You, brother. I, I can't wait, man. It's going to be a fun time. Absolutely, man. Cheers, everyone. Right, Don't yeah. like and subscribe. I will. See you guys. Bye.